Welcome, everybody, to the second ever episode of Rose Tinted Reels. This you is a special day. Right. Of course I did. It's my show. I would, of course, get this sort of thing right. It would be silly for me to get it wrong. Do you think I would ever do that? You are silly. It's not an answer to the question. Yes. Do you think I would do it wrong? Well, so in the, the grand scheme of the world, something that you should know about our friend, Mr. Zach, mm. is that he often calls things not by their proper name and assumes that you should be, well, uh, understanding what the random thing is, which is all well and good until you accidentally pick it up. Like uh, or you what start you call doing that? popcorn. Yeah. What did I... What? You called them pap smears. That's not. Come on. <laughs> I may have done that for a second. For, for an extended period of time of your life. <laughs> I would love some pap smear. Yeah. It was all fun and games until I accidentally said that at work, not realizing <laughs> that it leaked into my conversation. <laughs> and how was that received by your coworkers? They blinked and assumed it was some kind of Freudian slip. <laughs> you're due for one? Yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Well, yeah. So today we're doing the Casablanca movie. And I'm yes. Yeah. Really looking forward to talking to you about this. Me too, because I didn't know that Zach had watched it already, and he was ready to talk about it early, mm. uh, early on in the week. Yeah. And um, I was, I just so badly wanted to know if he liked it. Well, I, I can't tell you that until the very end because that's how our structure is. Speaking of, do you have this the structure in front of you? I I do. Um, so we are currently in section one of chit chat. Do you think we've achieved chit chat? I think we have chitted and chatted. I don't know. It doesn't seem like enough chit chat. How's your life been? Well, you know, so far so good. Um, Mark and I are planning our wedding, and I had a little bit of a false scare with the venue called. To say that they've canceled weddings at that venue for the remainder of the year due to COVID-19, which was fine because mine was originally supposed to be in October, now scheduled for March. And I was like, well, you're calling me to tell me this. Do you have plans of canceling the weddings in March? And she's like, not yet. (laughs) I'm like, that's optimistic. (laughs) She plans to plan to do it, though? Well, it's not really up to her. So uh, the venue where Mark and I are going to get married is part of um, the Johns Hopkins properties. Mm -hmm. So they are bound to proceed in the same guidelines that the schools are for uh, school procedures. I see. I guess that makes sense. I mean, it is a large crowd of folks. It is. And, you know, Mark and I agree it's safety first that, that we don't. At this point, if they do cancel again, I think we are going to look to just do something different, maintain safety, but something different. Um, it's just one of those things. Yeah. But, I mean, your wedding is going to be on a beach, so I feel like it's open air in a forest, in a wide open spaces in Montana. It was no, supposed to be in a library. <laughs> Oh, did you not get the changes? No, gosh. See, Mark and I have talked about it, and we think that it would be good. To go to Montana? Yes. So instead. Beautiful landscapes there. Wide open, low population. See? (laughs) COVID doesn't go there. 
That's not true. Well, well <laughs> how could you possibly know? Nobody's ever been. We're going to be like the frogs and the Simpsons, you know, being brought into Australia and suddenly the frogs spread. We are going to bring the COVID to Montana. Which really happened in England. We brought uh, the black squirrel. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, and it killed all the red squirrels Aww, that poor. were indigenous to uh, England. That's kind of sad. Now I'm depressed. Is it, though? I mean, American pride. Where's your American pride? We brought the strong squirrels, killed all the weak squirrels. But you know, The weak English squirrels. They should feel bad about themselves. But we will never get to see the charm of a red squirrel. Eh, charm. They were weak. I, they needed to be eradicated by the strong Americans. If the rats didn't eradicate them. We, we probably could bring stronger rats to eradicate the rats. Yeah, real talk. Let's talk about some Baltimore rats. Because yeah, they, <laughs> that's they, not even a joke. <laughs> they could take on my cats. Like, I'm not, I'm not going into politics, but as some, or D.C. rats also, not, not just Baltimore. I, I happen to live in the Baltimore area, mm-hmm. but I've seen some scary raccoon-sized rats in oh, D.C. Yeah. also. Well, in Baltimore, though, I mean, they take steroids there. Oh, my gosh. They, they are ready to defend. Their- <laughs> <laughs> not even defend. They're on the attack. They're have aggressive. You, have you ever heard of a king rat? Uh, no. That is a terrifying thing. It's uh, when the rats get mangled and tied together, their tails kind of get knotted. Oh, and I have. Yeah, yeah, and they kind of move in this, like, unison they're not really a single entity but they kind of are just but the thing is they can't get themselves unstuck from each other so So, they will die yeah it's sad and disgusting (laughs) yes it was very sad i didn't know it was called a king rat though that's horrible why why does it get such a royal sounding name for such a cruel act of nature i have no idea scientists are disgusting (laughs) or they have a macabre sense of humor that too (laughs) All right, all right. So let's move on to section two, uh, which is our listener reviews and comments. Do we have any for this week? Actually, we do. My friend Matt said, oh, you have a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) My friend uh, Matt um, Fontaine and I, we have this, um, it's been going on for years where we would assign each other things to watch. Um, the, the guideline on that was to make sure that we were assigning things we thought the other person would like, um, movies or TV specifically. Um, it's been a little difficult lately because I feel like we've both seen such a wide network of things. Uh, He will not watch any horror movies that are not on, um, this 1001 movies to see before you die list, um, he just is very anti-horror movie, um, and he always seems... What's his glitch? Why does he hate the horrors? I just, uh, I don't think he sees the value in a lot of them because there's not a lot of unique or changing things happening in them. Can I blow your mind? Go on. I agree with him. Well, there's always exceptions to the rule, though, and I think both you and he agree to that. Oh, absolutely. I like a lot of horror movies. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm picky. I think I'm more picky than most of our friends. I would agree with that. Although I think I'm coming around. I, I am on board with the campiness of most horror movies. You, you've been willing to participate in films you would have otherwise neglected because of peer pressure. This is true. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can laugh at the things that other people probably were not supposed to laugh at. Well, that's true. <laughs> that is certainly true. <laughs> but I also feel like I'm 
getting an appreciation for the the bad. You're you're becoming a different sort of rounded. I'm not going to say well-rounded, but rounded. <laughs> <laughs> Unwell-rounded. Yeah. Uh, I, whereas I felt like before, I was rounded. I was very nicely rounded, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but but I was misshapen by my fr- in a good way. Okay. Yeah. I was misshapen by, by, by my your, friends. Uh, preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this podcast is about. You're trying to misshape me in another way. It's true, and and this is we're trying to touch on a lot of genres here. But um, I, for a while, it seemed that you respected or had respect and correct me if I'm wrong for films wrong that had a certain artistic merit, like the Tron legacy films, which are beautiful. You mm. seem to be drawn to the more beautiful, but there's some ugly girls who have a lot of character. I will correct you there <laughs> because nobody had no, I'm just gonna, no, it's not just vis, uh, visual beauty. I think there's artistic merit in the writing, in the, the framing of, uh, you know, a shot like mm-hmm. the cinematography. So not just the beautiful, but the, the well thought out, mm-hmm. um, and I, I guess I should acting choices box you in because you do have a deep appreciation for clever dialogue. That too. Yeah. yeah. So no, it, it's definitely, I was picky, more picky in, in the past with movies. Cause I, I won't call it a snobbishness, but I wanted them to at oh, least do. strive. Oh, do call it a snob. <laughs> I wanted them to strive for greatness. Is that so much to ask? <laughs> It's not that you were mad, you were disappointed. Exactly. <laughs> I will say that about horror movies. I wasn't angry at them. I was just disappointed. They didn't live up to their potential. I expected more from you, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of a movie, a horror movie that I would have disliked in the past that I now have an appreciation for. I'm trying to think of one that was recent. I think you enjoyed the Conjuring films, um, but... I, I don't think you enjoyed the um, religious aspects of the exorcism plot point. Well, the I've only seen the third. You saw the first, I'm pretty sure. Mm-mm. Oh, well, that's going on the list. Is that going on the list? Yeah. Oh, you saw the second one, the one in England, because we saw that at a very late night theater situation. Yeah. The first attempt we had was just full of teenagers and none of us had the the stomach for it. Was that the one where I was not there? Cuz I remember we we did go to a movie where I think we walked out. Was I part of that or was that a different movie? That was that one uh, because okay. we ended up going to a later night show. Um, we we went for a refund at the um, concessions clerk and just explained it's like it's full of unattended teenagers. We can't sit through this film because they were acting so poorly before the movie even started. Yeah. A bunch of youths. Yeah. We can't be dealing youths. with youths. I'm sorry. What is a youth? And I have seen that movie. <laughs> My cousin Vinny. Yes. Good dialogue. Very good dialogue. Yeah. Well acted. Yeah. Marissa Tomei won the Oscar by accident. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was great. I love her. Yeah. Was that Oscar worthy? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think more Oscar worthy was her performance in Spider-Man. As the hot Aunt May? Yep, I'm throwing <laughs> that down. Okay, well. Was there ever a depiction of her in the comics as hot? No, not as, that I'm as, aware as of. As milfy? So for me, and I know I'm going to get hate for this, um, Spider-Man is my least favorite <sighs> 
oh of the mark. I'm swiveling my microphone to look away from you. Well, it's just I'm looking outside very much lamps. a it's really nice. She's got some rosemary growing out there. Emo kind of, of hero. And I don't know what that is. I just didn't appreciate it. Looks like an afro. That is time. Okay. Is it really time? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. I'll, I'll look back at you. But that, that disappointed me. Well, it's... That, that hurt my heart. What's wrong with him? I wasn't listening. I was actually looking at your plants. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's just... He will always be that emo Toby Maguire. Not even from the third movie. <laughs> That's the only one he was an emo in. No, he was kind of emotional in all of them. When he had the little snot bubble with the Uncle Ben stuff. <laughs> his <laughs> uncle, his father figure died. Of course he's crying and it's not bubbling. Yeah. That doesn't make him an emo. That's that's a normal thing. Yeah. Come Batman on. Batman did it better. Well. Those were his actual parents. No, I'm what? kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Something's I'm totally, happened, Allison. I'm totally She's kidding. joining the Nazi party. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Well, actually, that was one of my first lines that I wrote down in my notes. You know, 1941, when this film came out that we're going to discuss, and we knew Nazis were bad. Yeah. Yeah. Back then, back then we were aware that yeah. Nazis were not on the right track yeah. toward building the better city. But there are good people on both sides. I think you'll agree, right? If I had the opportunity to throw a drink in Zach's face, I would have. What, you're afraid of doing it because you'll ruin my microphone? Well, that and I'm uh, enjoying my nice little Pellegrino water. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, here, I'll enjoy some of my energy drink. You, you, you go ahead. Take over. Okay. So um, I'm going to set the, the landscape a little bit for our film. Uh, today we are discussing, as we said before, um, the wonderful, beautiful, lovely, romantic, and action-packed Casablanca. Oh, hold on one moment. Mm-hmm. We went off on like five tangents off of tangents. Mm-hmm. What did your friend think about the podcast? Oh, he didn't <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say he loved it or he hated it. I thought we were the section is listener feedback and you brought him up. So I thought he had some feedback. No, the feedback was, oh, you have one. Oh, I thought that would have then prompted him to listen to it. Oh, no, I didn't give him the link. Oh, (laughs) so nobody's listened to it. We have no listener feedback. yet. As far as I know, I need to get uh, our social media page developed on um, like the Facebook channel. Oh, yeah, I didn't create a Twitter or a Facebook yet, Yeah, but so. I did make a Reddit, and I believe you're a an admin on it? Yes, you, you sent me the information for the, yeah, the Reddit yeah. page. I, uh, age issue, uh, I don't know how to Reddit. Sure you do. It's it's a forum. Oh, okay. So it's I, I've been sent links to Reddit chains that have been very entertaining, but I've never participated. I think Reddit's great. I mean, like any good internet tool, it's got the power to uh, give a platform to bad people. Mm-hmm. But it's I think it's good. The, the good stuff usually rises to the top. They've got a voting system in there for comments and for the posts themselves. Um, they can foster really good communities. Mm. Um, they're, they're better for discussion than things like Twitter. So it's a, it's a maybe like I would say it's even better than Facebook for like a long form conversation like having a thread on a certain topic. Okay. Yeah. I will I will immerse myself in it. I just have not done so before. I always thought it was kind of like the uh, dressed up 4chan. Uh well, I mean it, it's it's a more polished version of any uh forum. Okay. Um 
So are you going to be, are you volunteering to be the social media uh, person? I will do it for the channels that I am comfortable with. Like I'm more comfortable using the Facebook platform, um, potentially responding to tweets. Okay. Get a Twitter. Um, I just don't understand the, yet the nuances of Reddit. Mm -hmm. So I will have to have a bit of training and I'm making myself sound very old. I'm not that old. I'm a little old. Not that. No comment. (laughs) Yeah. Zach is also like, Ten years, my uh. What? It's not that much. When were you born? Ninety-one. But at the beginning of ninety-one. Oh, I was born in eighty-five. Yeah, so you think you're so much better than me? You think you're so superior? You think you're so superior over there, lording it over me? You got a couple of years. When oh, I was so alive. I was. Uh, I was quoting Empire Records, which is a film you need to see. Oh, I, yeah. I, I did. When I was very young, I saw. Some of that movie And that is why it's on the list Okay <laughs> I remember liking what I saw Yeah So Casablanca Yeah uh, So uh, It came out in December Oh, I'm sorry uh, It came out in 1942 um, To set the global stage a little bit um, World War II started in September of 1939 but the U.S. did not uh, enter into the war until December of 1941. So when Casablanca was filming and um, originally came out, it would have been right at the start of when the U.S. entered the world, uh, World War II. So what I know of this, uh, I, saw, I, I watched some videos on YouTube just to see what other people were saying, and it seemed like everybody had, was kind of hitting the same points. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I liked was that, uh, the main character, uh, Humphrey Bogart, mm-hmm. Rick, Ricky, mm-hmm. young Rick, mm-hmm. he was supposed to re- be representative of America, mm-hmm. just chilling out, being isolationist and not, not taking a side and kind of pretending to be as, uh, cynical as the, uh, the French, uh, military men. Mm-hmm. But uh, he also would indicate, but you're a sentimentalist at heart. And, a and that's true. And he was a romantic and sentimentalist. And that's why he did help the, the young couple. I loved that scene so much. And that's also why at the end, he didn't get the girl. He let him, uh, let the, uh, the lady, or let, forced the lady mm-hmm. to go with uh, the far superior man. Because of what she meant to the movement. And Do you think that's what it was? So the interesting factoid about the the movie, some trivia, is Humphrey Bogart and uh, Ingrid Bergman were never sure if Rick and uh, Ilsa were supposed to actually love each other. And the director didn't know. So he said, play both sides. So they were always playing both sides of the I love you, I don't love you field. See, and I got... I, I think I registered some of that, and that's why I didn't think their romance was very compelling. It was beautiful in a way, um, but it did feel like I could see Rick's little end story that he ends up telling to um, to Laszlo. Um, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves in the dissection of the film. It's true. Um, we're trying to stay more on our our format. Um, so that way we don't accidentally, uh, get you guys another two hour program. <laughs> you know what? I, 
I think people are okay with that because they can always stop and start and pick up another time. A long podcast isn't really a problem, I don't think. Well, to use the McCloskey butt method, I'm hoping that we don't make people's butts too sore. If, if your butt gets sore, hit pause, go for a jog. <laughs> come back. Come back. Or listen while you're jogging. Either way. I have to have tunes when I jog. I can't. I can walk to podcasts, but I can't jog to podcasts. I used to run a lot, and I would listen to audiobooks. Podcasting sometimes, but audiobooks, I felt like it was the long-term commitment that would allow me to continue running. Because I, I was like, all right, I'm not going to stop running until I get to the end of this chapter. I need to pace myself to to a beat. Like, I need a... Mm-hmm. So I, I had a very specific kind of workout mix, which if anyone listened to, you'd be like, yep, you are a product of the 90s. <laughs> well... What are some of the songs? Oh, God. Uh, so, like, um, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor was on there. Was that 90s? I, I would have figured or that was early, early 2000s. 2000s. Yeah. yeah. Um, it had some but that's D- a classic. DMX on there, some Papa Roach. Yeah. <laughs> Rammstein. See, now you're talking my language. The fly has returned. Oh, my God. There's a, an invader in my house today, a little. Allison's been acting like uh, Walter White from the episode of Breaking Bad, where there was a, uh, a fly in his laboratory. She's just been walking around, staring him down with a, uh, a hoover in her hand. It is not a hoover. It is a Dyson. Dyson and um... I cannot say enough good things about Dyson, even though we are not sponsored. I, I was going to say, Dyson. we're not being... <laughs> Don't say nice things about any branded product unless we're getting paid for it. So far, I've name dropped two brands today: Pellegrino Water, and again, <laughs> yeah, and uh, Dyson. Um, anyway, so uh, Casablanca, starring Humphrey Bogart as Rick, Ingrid Bergman as Ilsa Lund, uh, Dooley Wilson as Sam, Claude Rains as Captain Renault, and uh, Paul Henreid as Victor Laszlo. And my favorite random, very much typecasted character, uh, Peter Lore, who played Ugart. Um, so Peter Lore is often referenced, oddly enough, in cartoons, and is still referenced today in like uh, Looney Tunes, Animaniacs, Tiny Tunes. And, you know, extremely young Allison had no idea who this character was and didn't understand why he was repeated in a bunch of things. But I, I had the same thoughts when I was young. Yeah, I, I got um, pictures of him, and um, it was only recently... Just closer to the mic. It was only recently when I uh, watched Arsenic and Old Lace that I put two and two together that he is always the same kind of character. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, great uh, character actors, they, um, they're they fun to, to kind of observe in that way. Now, I wonder who plays him in in the cartoons. That's a good question because... Uh, I wonder if it's some it classics. Was, I think it's, you know, there, there's a lot of characters who kind of pull from that voice. I think the, the guy who does the voice of um, the brain from Pinky and the Brain... Uh, Maurice LaMarche. I believe he did um, a Peter Lamar. Or, sorry, uh, a uh, Peter Lord, not Peter Lamar. I can see that. <laughs> uh, he's got exactly that kind of voice. He also does a really good Orson Welles. I've heard his Orson Welles, and I think that Brain sounded very much like Orson Welles. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I think that's what he said. It was supposed to be a combination of Orson Welles and somebody else. I can't remember, but he's he's a great voice actor. I love him. He was also in Futurama, notably as uh, Kiff. Oh, that was Kiff? Yes. I never knew that. Yes. I, um, I really appreciate... Um, 
I love voice actors. I think they are so talented. Yeah. Like the, I didn't realize that the voice of Fry played so many of the characters within Billy West. Yeah, he played Zoidberg, Professor um, Fry, and Zap Brannigan, and basic basically all the, the major Zapper. characters, all the <laughs> major male characters he was playing, yeah. except for Hermes and Bender. <sighs> and Hermes, uh, you met him. Phil Lamar. Phil Lamar. You met Phil Lamar at um, AwesomeCon in D.C. I know, and I paid him 80 of my American dollars to have him record a a voicemail message for me, and it was garbled. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, AwesomeCon, like most conventions, are done at convention centers, which are big cinder block squares, so the audio quality just picked up probably everything. Yeah, exactly. And it, it just sounded like noise. It, I was so disappointed, but I, I kept it there for a long, a long time because I like him so much. And yeah, but I also met Billy West and John DiMaggio, who plays Bender. That's oh, so cool. He is like <laughs> seven feet tall. Um, I met at. Uh, I wasn't there to meet him. Um, my friend Tony was. Um, Tony Belante. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to Monster Mania, and he was approaching um, the voice actor who played Ghostface uh, in the Scream franchise movies. Um, so when the the whole premise of Scream is a call would come in, and it would have this very unique voice on the end of it. I'm not going to get into any more details because that is on your list. I've seen the first one. Then you would know what I'm talking about. But I, well, I, re- I only remember the end. Well, so you have to watch it again. Okay. So, is um, it always the same person underneath the mask? No, I didn't think so. No. So, um, but that voice is very unique, and it's this one voice actor. But he's also the voice actor for Mojo Jojo <laughs> from. Uh, <laughs> Who is that? From the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. And I. Tom loved, Kenny. It, no, it's. Um, Oh, also, well, while you're looking that up, Maurice LaMarche was also a, uh, uh, was also Morbo and the horrible gelatinous blob in Futurama. Roger Jackson. Roger Jackson. I don't know him. Uh, so he, um, Roger Jackson, I will pull up his fame. He does so many different voices so um he was in mars attacks he was in the scream franchise titan ae um let's see the wild thornberries movie um you know who played nigel thornberry don't you oh yes mr curry yes yes mr tim curry um so he's just he's done a, a lot of uh voice acting in specific characters but I I just love him to death as Mojo Jojo. Um, he just, oh, I love it. Yeah. And it was very fun because when I met him, I was like, I love Mojo Jojo. And he went into full Mojo Jojo voice for me. Did he? Yeah, he's like, you are very wise to like Mojo Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, when I met um, Billy West and actually when I met all three of the voice actors I've met, they did voices, but um, John DiMaggio performed a whole scene for me. That's which, so cool. <laughs> it was really good. Oh, that always trips me up to watch the voice actors um, in their human bodies do an entire scene. Because I've seen that for like Bob's Burgers where they've recorded that online or The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Futurama did a full movie. I think it was one of the movies or maybe it was just one of the episodes uh, live. At Comic-Con, they did a, a live reading of the entire episode. 
with all the actors. That is so cool. Yeah, that was <laughs> lovely. Um, anyway, so back to uh, back to the trivia. So I would like to play a little game with Zach called Ingrid or Isabella. All right. So um, as uh, I said before, Ingrid, uh, or, well, Ingrid Bergman is the leading lady of this film. Her daughter is Isabella Rossellini, who is also an actress. And to me, they look so eerily similar. Um, I have trouble differentiating when there's two black and white photos next to each other. And mm-hmm. I want to see if this is a uniquely Allison problem or if Zach may participate. Now, full disclosure, I did take some of the pictures and make them black and white um, ah. to make it more of a challenge. So my thought was that I'll initially was that I'll be able to cheat because the her daughter's pictures will probably look better or more clear because they would be newer. Okay. So top left is her daughter. Top right is her. Okay. Hairstyles. Um, for the bottom, I'm going to go, uh, bottom right daughter, bottom left is her. Very good. You did it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah. Hairstyles were a little hard to rule out because, um, in the, the forties and fifties, there was definitely more, um, volume, volume and very specifically styled hair, um, and so I just thought that was a, a fun game to play just because they look so similar. <laughs> All right. So my game, I'll say I have a small game for you. Just three questions. Mm-hmm. It's a little quiz. Okay. And I think I'm going to start doing this from now on because these, these are movies that you're introducing to me. So I have to assume you know everything about them. That's a dangerous assumption. <laughs> so I'm, this, the first one is going to be easy. It's only three questions and I feel like they're broad enough that most cinema people w- might know them. Okay. So I'll ask you at the very end. Okay. So you're going to let me sit here in uh, anxiety waiting for the question. Yes. You're like one of those pop quiz teachers. It, I am. There's <laughs> going to be a quiz. I'm not going to tell you when. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so some trivia about 1942. Hmm. And this, this hurt my soul to read mm-hmm. uh, or to, to see. The, the average came, cost... Oh, so the movie came out in 42? Yes, the movie came out in 42. Okay. The uh, It came out just in time for Thanksgiving, November of 1942. Was it rushed? I think I read that the release was rushed for some reason. Um, that I don't know. I think um, it was rushed for uh, so that soldiers could see it before going off to Africa. That would make sense. I think that's um, what I read. I will say that um, it was an over-budget film, but still a few million dollars shy of some other films that came out around the time that were um, equally as critically reviewed, um, like uh, The Wizard of Oz, which we were speaking about earlier, which was around $4 million to make, mm-hmm. and Citizen Kane. Which was, I think, was about three point five million. So this film cost uh, just a over a million dollars, and this is nineteen forties money. <laughs> I know, yeah. which is basically pretend money. Yeah. <laughs> so the average cost of a new house was three thousand dollars seven hundred seventy. How much? 
3,770. Those guys had it easy. I'm going to say this every time. Those boomers, they had it easy. Well, uh, average wage per year was 1,880. I don't want excuses. <laughs> and uh, to rent, it was $35 a month. $35 a month? That it's actually average. seems that actually seems high compared to what it is to buy. New car, $920. Are you depressed? I'm depressed. <laughs> yes. Although cars back there were garbage. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm going to get into a, an argument with somebody who's a big automotive buff, mm-hmm. you know, and having appreciation for classic cars. And some of them look okay, I guess. But, I mean, they really were garbage. They, they were meant to be... Um, Something that could be changed out. I feel like like they were a status symbol. You wanted that yeah. new looking one, like the oh gosh, like in the shape of water. He's like ooh, but this one's mint green and new. But even like seventies cars, I think mm-hmm. are garbage, and a lot of them look kind of nice. But you just can't argue that the suspension was terrible. The safety was ridiculous. So if you bumped into a wall, the car would just bend up into itself. Try not to. To run into too many walls. Or another car. Whatever. <laughs> but yeah, they were just god-awful, terrible machines. Let's see. Uh, Italian physicist Enrico Fermi uh, created the first nuclear chain reaction in his lab at uh, the University of Chicago on December 2nd of that year. Uh, all right. I'm aware of uh, Fermi. And Bambi released. So we got... So that was the same year Bambi came out? Yep. Wow. So... Uh, we have World War II, nuclear chain reactions, and Bambi. That was a depressing year. Mainly because of Bambi. <laughs> yeah, Bambi's mom. No one was the same. <laughs> no one was the same again. <laughs> all, all the crazy things happening on the world stage are nothing compared to Bambi's mom dying. It was awful. It was awful. I saw a picture once of all of the Disney villains, and there was a random hunter in the mix. And he explained, "Oh, I'm the Bam- I'm the hunter that shot Bambi's mom. Automatically, the worst villain, Cruel Devil, was there, and she killed lots of animals. But for some reason, because we knew Bambi had a mommy, had a mom, he was the worst. I don't remember seeing the hunters. I don't remember much of Bambi. You don't see the hunters." It was a joke. Oh, kinda. so they were just yeah, showing somebody. It was somebody. just a guy in like overalls and plaid. Was it like a live Flannel. picture or a yeah. cartoon? Okay. Oh, yeah, it was live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, Casablanca was nominated for eight total Academy Awards, winning Best Picture, Best Director, um, and Best Screenplay. Um, and uh, it was... Um, the American Film Institute um, nominated it for the best uh, script and best screenplay of all time. Um, so uh, it cost a mere one million versus its counterparts, um, Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, which uh, Gone with the Wind also was one of those films that cost multiple millions of dollars versus its mere one million. So I haven't seen Gone with the Wind. But <laughs> from what I've seen, it takes place in a house. Uh, so yes. it had these uh, big kind of landscape war scenes, big dramatic views. They, I think they were all taking place on sets, um, but still just like these big sprawling views. So it was, sh- it was showing war scenes and things like that? More like aftermath of war. Like I, I don't remember any specific battles, but there's a 
clip of like a burning city kind of thing. Oh, see, in my mind's eye, that was the movie was about a a woman who woe man a woe man who was married to a fella. And something like she would have sex with a handmaid or a, a butler or something like that. A handmaid would have been just worlds ahead of its time. To exactly. Acknowledge. And that's so in my mind, she did something like that. And the husband has to smack her and say, can't do this. This is 1940s. And uh, and and so then he did you think the Civil War took place? Oh, it was the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. oh, OK. Well, then, <laughs> uh, so this. Yeah. OK. So, uh, anyway, he slaps her, and it was the Civil War. That's when Gone with the Wind took place. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. That's what I'm saying. I (laughs) thought she slept with somebody, and he had to smack her and then say, I don't give a damn about your feelings. Get back inside. No, it's so it's about um, it's following the the character of Scarlett O'Hara, and it's set in the Civil War. She always had this deep love of this fella named Ashley, um, and she wanted to get married to him. Uh, he ends up dying, so she's a widow, so she's tainted goods. and um, What? Yeah, then she ends up with another fella. Um, she is trying to maintain this plantation and the escape of the war. Um, everything is being burnt asunder, and this person who has had no education, really, or training on how to run anything is suddenly being kind of thrust into this role. And uh, Rhett Butler, who's frankly Scarlet, I don't give a damn. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the character you're referencing. He basically had just had enough of her shenanigans at that point. What was she shenanigizing? Oh, she's just, she's. Do you want to spoil it for me or should I watch it? It's problematic. I think we should discuss it at a like it should be its own thing, its own episode. I think it's a film that you have to devote a lot of time to because it's like five fucking hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is it really? Oh my gosh, it's so long. Uh, But it it is an important cinematic historical film, but it is excessively problematic. That's why uh, HBO had to pull it because there was kind of this unapologetic um, way that they were depicting um, the the black actors of the film mm. um, that there was no kind of um, explanation of. Um, Can you give me an example? A Big Fat, for instance? Well, the that's one of the movies that spearheaded the kind of, quote-unquote, and I'm sorry for using the word, I just don't know how else to describe it, the mammy stereotype, the kind ah, of... Ah, okay. And um, there's a very famous quote of a quote-unquote silly slave girl saying, this is not my viewpoint. That's how it was described in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, But just kind of the, I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. Is that where that comes from? Yeah, that came from that movie. (laughs) I've heard people say that recently. Yeah. Well, that was a joke that not not pointed in that direction that I heard a lot when I was working with midwives. It was that joke. That's interesting. So the context of what, how that was said in the movie is much more insulting is degrading to the person saying it. Yeah. That's so weird that it's become a modern, it's still a modern reference and joke. It's it's people forget where the reference comes from. So I think, um, but that has nothing to do with Casablanca. (laughs) 
No. But I think, you know, I think that, the, I. by the way, I discovered, I think I sent you the link. Someone's already doing our podcast. Oh, yeah, I, I saw that. But they're doing, um, like, the top 101 films specifically? Yeah, and, yeah. but th- I think she is, like, a writer and producer, mm-hmm. and they get, like, guest stars on that are actual people from the industry. So they're doing our podcast, but better. I think mm-hmm. our angle has to be to do it worse. Oh, okay. So, so- Ramble. Go, <laughs> go off on tangents, make our episodes too long and unstructured. Mm-hmm. That's our, that's the way we're going to win this that's battle. That's our shtick. Yeah. We got heart. Yeah. We got so much heart so spilling much heart. out of our ears. That's, that really sounds like a dangerous medical condition. <laughs> well, uh, that's us. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, people who identify the cardiac issue that would have caused the Grinch to hearts to enlarge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he had issues. <laughs> he was really happy. He but was maybe, happy until he died. I know. 20 <laughs> minutes later, he collapsed yeah. <laughs> after singing. Yeah, there's no uh, adorable Who song about that. <laughs> I know. I think he carved up the roast beast, and like that just going into his system locked it all down. There, there's something to be said about the cholesterol in that Christmas dinner. Yeah. Can you even imagine what kind of sauce they had on that? It was probably nothing but MSG. So MSG kind of gets, it gets a bad rap. Does it? It's not as bad as people say. Some people do have the adverse headache reaction to it, but. Right. I've uh, heard of those people. It adds, um, I, I follow. I said a, significantly. A chef uh, online named uh, Emmy. Yeah. Uh, and she, she often um, speaks in defense of MSG. Because it adds this like umami richness to the the dishes. Speaks on behalf of MSG. No, yeah, in defense. That's interesting. Yeah, because it people tend to associate it incorrectly with other issues. See, in my mind, it, it's salt. It, it's kind of like a flavored salt compound. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need a little bit of salt, but why why defend it? Like, surely we have too much salt and too much sugar in our diets. Like everybody does. So MSG, uh, it's like adding cream of tartar or, you know, a different kind of um, a, a citric acid to the dish yeah. or, or uh, like a compound. Um, so it's it's adding flavor that is on a different level than just salt or sugar. Um, right. Sorry. Take my arms off of the table. Fine. Um, <laughs> and um, so... MSG is incorrectly associated with um, foods that are bad for us, like Chinese takeout that are deep fried. Right. Uh, there's usually MSG in those kinds of sauces. Yeah. The fly is on your Eddie Izzard shirt. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> he was on the D of Eddie. <laughs> he was on Eddie's D? <laughs> the first D, not the second D. Oh, my God. How many Ds does he have? One, two, three. There's three D's in Eddie Izzard. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, um, so, but people associate it, like, for some reason with migraines or other symptoms. Right. And so MSG just kind of has this bad rap where everyone's like, MSG? It's like the, the corn syrup. Yeah. Or high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's people just incorrectly think it's worse because there's been so many successful slander campaigns. Sure. All right. Well, I, I did not predict that we were going to have a public service announcement in defense of MSG on this podcast. Brought to you by Emmy in Japan. This is a beautiful a thing. YouTube broadcast. You are not going to get that kind of information anywhere else. Yeah. See, <laughs> listeners, this is Unless why you, you come Emmy. here. <laughs> um, so speaking of food, uh, mm. they ordered a lot of champagne cocktails in this film, mm-hmm. in Casablanca. 
So I pulled up a recipe for one. Oh, are we going to have some this evening? <gasps> no, I don't have any champagne. Oh. Well, technically, champagne is just uh, specifically has to come from the Champagne region of France. Oh, so. yes. Uh, other than that, it's sparkling wine. Exactly. Um, so to make a champagne cocktail, which I have had before, mm-hmm. is um, one sugar cube, one third of an ounce of cognac, two dashes of bitters, and three ounces of champagne. So you're putting alcohol in your alcohol with a sugar cube. Yeah. Sometimes it is decorated with a rind of some sort, like a lemon or an orange rind. I'll take an orange rind. My favorite beer happens to be Blue Moon. I cannot drink beer. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, anyway, uh, so another interesting factoid is this was actually written as a play. Casablanca was written as a play. Um, and it was set in uh, Portugal, in Lisbon. Um, and it was originally titled Everybody Comes to Rick's. Um, it was authored by Murray Burnett and Joan Allison and sold uh, the rights to the script to Warner Brothers for just $20,000. Um, and they accidentally signed away the complete rights to the script and the characters. They would later try to sue in the 1980s, uh, the Warner Brothers Studios. It was accidentally sold? They didn't read the contract very well. They didn't mean oh. to sell exclusive rights to the story and the characters. Interesting. See, I, I read that they had, it was the first and maybe only uh, stage play that was unproduced mm-hmm. to have sold its rights to a movie studio. Mm-hmm. So that's what I read, but I didn't know that it was accidental. Well, it was accidental, the scope of the rights that they sold. So right, they could they, never produce that. Play. Right, they right. They could never write a sequel. They could never do anything with Fools. Uh, Rick or uh, Ilza. Um, Another interesting factoid is that Ingrid Bergwood stood 5'10 in her bare feet, while Bogey was 5'8, which is my height. Um, and to con- compensate for their height difference, she wasn't allowed to wear shoes. And he, he was on platforms, and wasn't he? He was on platforms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there, I, I started to, after I read that fact and I rewatched the film, I was laughing because I was like, no wonder there's no full body shots. well it's always the knees up (laughs) yeah that's true although but another reason might have been that if they had gotten the camera that far away it would have been obvious that they were in a set also true yes um how many real locations did they have i think it was all set uh and i think that even the um the airplane was not real well so one thing i read uh, at the end of the movie the plane going or the plane on the runway mm-hmm. was a cardboard cutout, yes. and they had uh, little people, yes, there to give it kind of a forced perspective of distance to make it look bigger. Yeah, yeah, which I think is interesting. I mean, that's a clever way of solving a problem. Yeah, it, I mean, and that kind of <laughs> makes me think of uh, Lord of the Rings, the the recent Peter Jackson film franchise with yeah. the most famous forced yeah. perspective. Yeah, because yeah. they would have a, a similar thing with actors and stand-ins yeah. to, to give that forced height perspective. Well, and I think the most standout scene that uses that to me was when Gandalf, it was Gandalf and Frodo riding on the wagon together. And Frodo runs to hug Gandalf. Well, no, that, that too, but they're in the wagon together and the shot is showing them both at the same time. But Frodo is very much smaller than Gandalf and it's not because they've done any kind of trickery. Well, it is trickery, but not digital trickery. Uh, Frodo is actually sitting much further back than uh, uh, Ian McKellen is 
and the wagon that they built. So Frodo is holding one hand on a post on like one side of the wagon and Gandalf is uh, next to the post on the other. Mm -hmm. They look to be the same size, but the one on Frodo's side is much bigger and he's sitting further back. That's hilarious. That that reminds me of all those like magic eye kind of trick books to. Yeah. And it looks perfect. Yeah. They they do a really good job. Yeah. Um, So did you know that at no point in Casablanca does anyone say play it again, Sam? Of course I know that. I do actually. No, when I was coming into, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I read that, but also when I was coming into the movie, I didn't know what play it again, Sam came from, but I was kind of putting puzzle pieces together. But even before I heard that the piano uh, player, his name was Sam. I was like, I think this is going to be the movie where someone says play it again, Sam. So I was listening for it the whole way through and nobody ever says that line, line. (laughs) but nobody ever does say the line. Yeah. I think she says play it once more or something like that, but she never says play it again, Sam. Yeah. Rick never says that. Um, so that, that was just an interesting. Oh, and that um, song, As Time Goes By, um, is actually the American Film Institute's number two song in a film. Over the Rainbow is the first. Someday Where? over the rainbow. What? So, somewhere. Someday over the rainbow. I'm going to be there. <laughs> so that's how it goes. <laughs> Someday. Somehow. Somewhere. Um, so yeah, just some little interesting factoids. Would you like to know the top song, the top pop song in 1942? Hit me. Have a guess. Uh. I'll give you anywhere within the top five. If you can get something in the top five, you get a point. Can you name me the artist? I cannot. I can give you the year. Was it 42? It was 1942. <laughs> I knew the year. <laughs> Let's see. Um, hmm. Bear with me, folks. I'm thinking. Trying to think of what would be very helpful to have an artist. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I'm going to give up. You can't even give one guess. Blue Sky. Something, I mean, just, you know, something that was in that era. You don't know how popular it was, maybe, but in the 40s. Name, name something you think was a popular song. The 40s. Um, I know you know uh, and are very familiar with at least one of the artists. Is it Mr. Bing Crosby? Yes, sir. Huh. Ah. <laughs> um... Hmm. This is tough because I'm trying to think. Uh, there's a lot of movies that are, sorry, uh, songs that Bing did that were um, Irving Berlin and um, featured in different movies. What is a type of song that people would be compelled to play at least once a year? White Christmas? There you go. No. Oh, Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Number two was uh, Glenn Miller. I've got a gal in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Dorsey is number three with uh, Tangerine. G- uh, Glenn. I like Jimmy Dorsey. <laughs> Jimmy Dorsey's the man. Slept on me. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Dorsey. So we uh, 
Zach and I are both fans of Mr. Eddie Izzard, and there is a very funny bit about Engelbert Humperdinck. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the names that he originally went by was Jerry Dorsey, and so I just ad-libbed there. I apologize. Uh, number four was Glenn Miller, Moonlight Cocktail. And number five was Harry James, Sleepy Lagoon. Do you know any of those? I do not. Uh, I will say Shocking. that um, I am more familiar with 1950s on forward. Oh. We are stationed in Germany. Um, we listen to a lot of oldies and opera. Um, so my 1940s music, not so knowledgeable. But after that, I have a little bit more of a wheelhouse. That's so weird. I had a very strange formative year. Yes, yeah. you did. Um, all right. I, I'm kind of half interested to quiz you on 1950s music. Oh, but well, we'll save that. Yeah, well, we'll have to save that for a 1950s musical that we watch. Do you have one? Oh, is, to, there, is there one on the list currently? I need to look up the year it was released, but I believe the Music Man was in the 50s. And that was one that we were discussing earlier that my, my friend and cousin Chris will have to participate in. All right, well... Because we are both Robert Preston. The invitation is officially extended. Chris, you must join our podcast. You have been summoned. So, uh, was it as good as I remembered? I say absolutely. Um, I, every time I watch Casablanca, um, I feel as though I, I get a new appreciation. I pick up on things in dialogue that I've missed before. Um, so uh, there's this one line in particular that uh, made me laugh this time that I think I missed, which is the um, there's a young woman and her husband, and they're trying to get their their transit papers, and um, the captain um, is asking for a night, essentially, with the young woman uh, in exchange for the papers, and. Uh, there is a, a line that's saying that um, the captain is with the young woman and her husband, and Bogey makes a comment. He's like, "Well, that's more progressive than I gave him credit for," or something like that. But it just made me made me laugh. And I, I will say that there's the scene where uh, Laszlo interrupts the Germans singing their anthem with the French anthem. And there's something about that scene that always gave me chills. Uh, I just, I love it so much. I have to agree. I think that the, uh, the scene where um, Laszlo came down to sing is the most emotional moment in the movie. I would agree with that. And there was just something very proud about that. Have you ever listened to the, or read the lyrics of the French anthem? They are the most violent. <laughs> I don't think I have. I'll pull that up while uh, you uh, queue up your next segment. All right. Well, I've got some trivia. I, we can, I, I can do my trivia, and then we can move into the analysis period. Sable? Bon. Bon. Yes, bon. Very bon. Mucho bon. Uh, okay, so... Actually, during that song, apparently, the extras were... The, the movie seemed to be really thoroughly comprised of people who had escaped Nazi Germany or Nazi-occupied France. Um, so the, a lot of them were real survivors, and when they were singing that song, many of the extras had real tears in their eyes. That certainly explains like why it was so 
profound, like the energy, you could feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was completely beautiful. And that hearing that watching the entire movie, cause I've seen it now twice. I watched it uh, once and we kind of discussed it together um, off the podcast. And then I watched it again with my brothers and watching it, knowing that the second time was chilling in many places. It sort of reminded me of, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Cabaret. No. So, um, Cabaret also said around the landscape of um, World War II, but this time set in Berlin. Um, so um, in the scene, they are uh, witnessing kind of this division while this youth is singing the song Tomorrow Belongs to Me, um, which is set like a, a Nazi somewhat anthem that is playing into people's desire to have uh, nationalism and pride. And um, it's it's just a very powerful moment in the movie where you see the division. Um, and it's, it's kind of the opposite feel. The, the French national anthem scene was meant as a jab and takedown of the Nazi party. Uh, the tomorrow belongs to me shows the other end of the spectrum where the Nazis are gaining ground and becoming more powerful. And the fear that kind of resonates on the people not participating in the song's face. Well, so you're a French or you speak French, right? I, I do not. <laughs> so, uh, can you sing a little bit of the song? I will not sing it, but, um, I will read a little bit of the translation of the French national anthem, which is, uh, let's go children of the fatherland. The day of the glory has come um, against us from the tyranny. The bloody banner is raised. The bloody banner is raised. Do you hear in our countryside blared the wild soldiers? They've come right into your arms. Stay your son, your companions. To arms, citizens, train your battalions. Let's walk, let's walk. Only an impure blood waters our furrows. So we're watering our furrows with the impure blood of the tyranny. That is bloody and violent. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but, you know, they sang it so beautifully. <laughs> they did. <laughs> it was better not knowing what it meant. Sorry. <laughs> You've ruined the movie. That's our uh, second working title, Allison Ruins the Movie. <laughs> <laughs> I really felt like that was going to be my job. Yeah. no, y- You I were going to love pr- a movie, introduce it to me, and I was going to just hate it. I both praise it and demolish it. <laughs> Same swoop. <laughs> I think that's that's the appropriate way to go. <laughs> Not a single track mind. But Yeah, so that, that scene was just, uh, it was wonderful. Uh, so apparently Rick's Bar was one of the few original sets that was created for the movie. So most of them were sets. Most of, uh, not all of them were sets, but Rick's was the only one that was made for the movie. Interesting. All the other ones were reused. Um, the Sam's piano, uh, there's two different pianos that they use in the film. One in their French apartment and then one at Rick's. The one from Rick's actually sold at auction in the millions, um, Recently, I had heard, but yeah. the one that was from the France apartment did not sell quite as high, like twenty thousand dollars or something. What? Yeah, owning a piece of cinematic history. But the French one is more iconic. It's painted and it's pretty, yeah. and the other one just looks like a 
regulation piano. Uh, okay. Well, so I've got a question about Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess we can save it for when we're actually picking apart the movie. Yeah, cause I, I had some notes about um, some some issues that I found presented um, that we can save for does it hold up kind of a yeah. discussion. So, you know, Sam wasn't actually playing the piano. He was a, he was a real musician, but I think he was a, uh, I think he played trumpet or something like that. He didn't play piano. So he, there was a, a pianist on set. So while he was playing, that music is live. It's actually being played, but he's not playing it. It's a body double piano? Well, no, no. I mean, someone's off camera. Oh, okay. And playing so that everyone can hear it. And he's watching that person's hands. So I always found it weird that he was like... When he was playing, he was kind of leaning over and facing the camera. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it makes a kind of a striking visual image, but it just seems awkward. Like, why would a person play like that? But I think it was because he was looking at the person who was playing so that he knew how to position his hands. That's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, originally, they were toying with the idea of the singer Sam being a female, and they were looking at Ella Fitzgerald. Um, yeah. And I... Th- I want to say Nina Simone was another one, but um, they oh. ended up with Sam. They did, did, they liked the male-on-male friendship between Rick and Sam. Yeah, I think that works. I kind of wonder why they would have chose at any point planned for that to be a, a female character because it seems like as heavy-handed as the movie was with certain of its themes – it seems like that may have gone into a territory of like another romance and it would have muddied the waters a little bit. But in 1942, I don't know how strongly they would have allowed that kind of uh, romance to be explored unless we're talking 1942. This is not something I condone. Um, They probably, when you look at the first interracial kiss on camera, that was in Star Trek in the 60s. Viva la Star Trek. So it's, I don't know that they would have allowed the inference of a romantic relationship between Rick and um, one of those singers. Uh, I wonder how they would have tried tried to discourage it. I don't know. I feel like that would have been an interestingly, not well, I think it would have been a thematically appropriate move for them to have made. It would have been. I just... um, I just, Allison idly wondering about 1942 producer brains, if they would have. I'm not, again, I'm against that process, but I just wonder idly if they would have allowed it. So here's something that's kind of on that topic, uh, but kind of different. So apparently, uh, As Time Goes By, that was the name of the song, right? Yes. That was not originally the song they were going to play. They were going to play another song that was, oh, no, no, was it that? No, I think it was the the French National Anthem. They weren't going to play that song. They were going to play something else. Um, But it was owned by the... I didn't write this down, so this is completely off of memory. It was a song in the movie, and now I'm thinking it was the German song. Uh, So I think they were going to play a different German song that was more appropriate for them to have sung, Mm -hmm. but the Nazi party owned it. Ooh. Uh, and so they, they really wanted to play that for authenticity. Um, but they thought it would be an absurd situation if they ever owed Nazis a royalty. So they had to change the song. 
Well, I appreciate not wanting to pay the Nazis. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of this was supposed to, the movie was supposed to be a rebellious spirit against the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of uh, Jewish people that were part of making the movie and part of acting in the movie and things like that. So it was, it was a very uh, rebellious spirit. So I think that they wanted to do that just to kind of give the middle finger that that song was part of the movie. But they also didn't want to pay the, the Nazis. Yeah. It's a hard thing to give a middle finger and then also sign a check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've done it. Like, you know, when you're writing a check and it's for a bill you don't want to pay. So, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was interesting that they were, they had that kind of conundrum <laughs> presented to them. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. So I think you're, a lot of your trivia kind of... Uh, coincided with mine. Oh, the last one that I thought was really interesting that you didn't bring up. Apparently a lot of the shadows, uh, on set were painted. I did not know that, but that's interesting. Yeah. They weren't real shadows. They were painted. Huh? That is so strange. Like I, I'm guessing, um, there's a scene where they're sitting at a table and there is a palm plant kind of cascading a shadow onto them, the palm plant may have been painted on there, or human shadows? Oh, I doubt it would have been human. My gu- It didn't say. My guess is that it would have been like a shadow from like a hypothetical window behind them, casting a shadow onto the back. To make it drop. look less like a set and more like a real... Exactly, yeah. Oh. Because they had the spotlight that was always circling and, and shining shadows on stuff, uh, depending on the scene. And so I'm guessing that if they were inside of Rick's bar, that sometimes they would have had to have shadows that seem like they're coming from behind that weren't actually. Fascinating. Yeah. That I did not know. Um, and one note, we can start analyzing, unless you've got something else, we can start analyzing the movie. No, let's, let, let's do, let's analyze. All right. Um, my first thought upon starting the movie, and I'm just going to play it. This music Mm. is so, I don't know. What is it? What emotion does this elicit in you? Arabian Nights. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. But I mean, for Morocco, that's. I'm going to scan forward. That boom, boom. It just sounds so dismal. Well, it's World War II. Couldn't you have been a little cheerier? <laughs> it's World War II. <laughs> I don't know. Just for the the start of the movie, mm-hmm. it, it's no, supposed to be bleak. I know no tone had been established yet, and just all of a sudden it crashes down on you with that dismal music, mm-hmm. and the visuals were dismal, and just everything was dismal. It made my heart so heavy that I didn't want to keep watching. It's kind of like it's a world war. <laughs> Look, just because you're at war with the world doesn't mean you can't put a smile on people's faces. This was brought to you by the comedian, also known as Zach. Oh, calm, calm. <laughs> um, 
But okay, so aside from that, I, my first impression of the movie was actually how modern it felt. It, I, mean, I mean, actually, the way it was filmed, uh, he was moving the camera around. The director was moving the camera around so much, mm-hmm. it felt like a modern movie. Because I mean, it didn't feel stationary. It didn't, and especially for everything being a set, to have moved the camera around so much feels bold, which I liked a lot. I thought it was very cool. Um, especially if you consider or compare it to another movie of the time, like it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. The camera's stationary for almost all the shots. And it also felt like in it's a wonderful life, like they were taking places in homes or in shops. So it felt like maybe the camera didn't have as much room to move around. Well, do you think those were real shops or do you think those were sets? I think they were sets, but they constructed the sets to be very realistic feeling. So I think there was minimal ways the camera could have moved, but I also haven't researched it. Well, nor have I. So maybe uh, this will have to be a Christmas time special where we look into It's a Wonderful Life. I would love to do that. Although I've seen it a bunch. I, I am very familiar with that movie. Maybe we can find one of our friends who hasn't seen it and induct them into our uh, lovely society here. This is a very good idea. Friends... Which one of you hasn't seen It's a Wonderful Life and would like us to enjoy the film with you? <laughs> <laughs> we can. So do you think for our special episodes, Halloween will have to be one of those special episodes? Uh, Although- Halloween. So the thing about Halloween, all of our friends group would have seen everything. You would still need to see something. I? What do you think I haven't seen that's a classic Halloween movie? Well, classic horror Horror. Well, okay, so... Are, you haven't uh, seen Lost Boys. Are you trying to draw a distinction between horror and Halloween? Yes, because those are two different facets. Hocus Pocus is a Halloween film. Truly. But yeah. not, not a horror film. Uh, 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 is Nightmare Before Christmas a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? It is a Christmas film to me that has a Wrong. Halloween element. Wrong. It's a Halloween movie that has a Christmas element. What do you think about Die Hard? Is Die Hard a Christmas film? It's a Halloween movie. It has nothing to do with Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. Take that, internet. Yeah, you dummies. Ooh. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> oh, I did. You're all a bunch of dummies if you don't think so. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, you haven't seen um, The Burbs. You haven't seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, Is Rocky well, Horror Picture Show actually a horror picture show? No, it's a musical, but it has that Halloween element to it. Okay, so that would be a Halloween movie, not a horror movie. Yes. Oh, uh-huh. I'm sorry. Gotcha. So uh, The Burbs is uh, a horror comedy, which I think would be a great film to watch around Halloween. And that's the, the Tommy, Tom, Tom Hanks? Yes, Tom Hanks. Um, let's see, you haven't seen Lost Boys, which is horror, but also very delicious around October time to watch. Lost Boys, Lost Boys. That sounds like a movie about two guys in an airplane that crash land somewhere in Vietnam. It's about vampires of Santa Barbara. It's very different. Yeah. <laughs> With Mr. Kiefer Sutherland. What? And um, Billis Preston Esquire. If or is it, it Ted Theodore Logan? <gasps> I just mixed them up. Oh, my God. It's the non-Keanu. Internet, please go wild and crazy at this latest mistake of Allison's. I know. And I just watched it the other night. <laughs> uh, anyway. On a scale of one to five, how ashamed are you? Five being the most shamed, 
my head is in a bag. I, I feel like I'm scrappy doo, like, oh, for shame. And like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not often you get a scrappy doo reference. No, because no one likes scrappy doo. <laughs> but um, let's see. I'm just pulling up the, the list of Jaws. Um, that's another very important movie. I'm looking that one, to Jaws. That is an all-seasons horror, though. That's not... I think it's more thrilling than horror oh, with political implications. What? What, beaches? Opening beaches for you, COVID f- people? You, you'll have to see and then look at the modern correlation. I feel like it's going to be beaches being open for sharky shark business. Well, and listen, in the modern era, it's going to be COVID business. Life's a beach, Zach. Yeah. So are you uncomfortable? Because oh, I thought you were going <laughs> to call me a bitch. No, 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 no I would never. Anyway, um, so, yes, we, we are going to have to format how we invite our friends to partake in the conversation. With so us. I was going to ask, so for these types of specials, mm-hmm. uh, one, in these COVID times, <gasps> should we uh, invite many people into one location? No, I think that would be ill-advised at this time. I agree, but for Halloween, we're going to need more than just, you know, we're going to need a whole gang of our gang. The Halloweeners. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he was so proud and then laughed at his own joke. I, well, I didn't expect to say that. That just kind of came out, but I really liked it. <laughs> uh, Halloweenies. Uh, no, we're the Halloweeners. <laughs> and we'll have to eat hot dogs during this special. Indeed. Sorry, vegetarian. <laughs> we can have veggie wieners. Sounds like an adult version of VeggieTales. <laughs> <laughs> the veggie wieners, veggie wieners. Ugh, disturbing. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, we'll, we'll have to find a way to make it happen that is still safe. Agree, agree. Perhaps we can even have people over the, you know, the, the types of internet calls you one can do. The, the Zoomies. Mm, FaceTime if you're an Apple person. Yeah. One, one of those things. We, we will work out the logistics, and we will get back to you, the listener. In fact, I think we should enforce FaceTime. I think that'll make Chris happy, being an Apple fan like he is. This is I, also... I, a- I think let's, let's, <laughs> let's just move past it. Don't acknowledge anything. So I'll just... I can neither confirm nor deny anything. All right. So uh, FaceTime it is for all of our Apple family friends. Um, uh, so back to the analysis of Casablanca. Well, I wanted to get to the bottom of how... Okay, so we're going to have maybe some people here, maybe some people over Zoom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to say for, you know, certain, like the Christmas, maybe we'll have one person on. Or for a special movie that one of our friends really loves, we can have them on. But for Halloween, we need all of our Halloweeners. Which is pretty much... So uh, our friends group, we like to go to haunted houses and uh, this sort of thing together. We are very much fans of horror and Hi-bar. spooky and... Halloween is our season. October is our season. We come alive in September with the threat of pumpkin spice wafting in the air. Mm-hmm. Something I actually do not choose to imbibe is pumpkin spice. I find it disgusting. I think it's disgusting, but uh, one a season, maybe. Yeah, not if even that. Not uh, yeah, even I mean, that. Yeah, it's, I'm I, not drawn to it, but it's not bad. I do not care for pumpkin pie. I am thoroughly un-American. I agree with you on that. Yeah. I don't like pumpkin pie. Although I'm not a sweets person. I don't like cake 
No, the, okay. the only thing Zach likes is this very interesting confection, which is powdered sugar, potatoes, and peanut butter. <laughs> which way? Hey, if you just describe it like that, that sounds awful. <laughs> just potatoes and sugar and peanut butter? That's what it is. It's uh, literally you, a three-ingredient dessert. <laughs> I know, but you do some special things to massage it into a delicious treat. Okay, you, you cook the potatoes until they are malleable and able to mush into kind of a mashed potato-y format. You uh, fold in some uh, confectioner's sugar to make your candy. So your candy is a base of confectioner's sugar and potato. Yeah. And then you slather, you, you, you put it out into like a square shape, flattened um, and on wax paper so you can eventually roll it up. And then you slather on the top of that peanut butter and then you make like a jelly roll and cut it into little circles. Um, I've made this once for Zach for a birthday and I had to find a recipe for it. And I, I don't know if I either needed to add more sugar or less sugar or cook the potatoes longer. It tasted fine. It, it didn't taste at all like a potato. Yeah, it's, it's good. Well, fine. <laughs> it's great. Well, I, I think I need to play with the recipe, try to perfect it a little bit more. Tweet, not maybe use a different type of peanut butter or something. Just texturally, it was, it, and I think you've admitted it, it was not quite right texturally. I don't remember it being off. Maybe it was there was a little bit of skin on the potato or something? No, I peeled those suckers. I don't remember it being weird. Huh, maybe it was just me. And I didn't know what to compare it to. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. It's a beautiful treat for any occasion, for any season. I recommend everyone look it up. Potato candy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You See, get your protein. Look, your, I'm so you've been advertising. Starches. You've been advertising for other people. This isn't even a brand. Just <laughs> Google potato candy. I beg you. Emmy did a special on that. The the chef I was talking about earlier. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, she had hers pre-made. Uh, I think she tried to make hers. She does not like peanut butter. She is one of those weirds that do not like peanut butter. I do not understand those people. Mm-mm. Listeners, if you hear us talk about peanut butter, tell us your thoughts. Pro, con, crunchy, creamy, only the creamy people are right. (laughs) That's such an odd, this is a movie podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. It sure is, or it should be. Or it's the ramblings of two mad people. (laughs) Yes, well, that's our thing now, apparently, because someone got to this podcast two years before us. No, no, they're only doing AFI, and they have journalistic history <laughs> yes <laughs> they've got they've got some sort of grounding in the industry yeah we're, we're a bunch of neophytes <laughs> bunch of dorks and dweebs okay so our analysis we are talking about sets and cameras and feeling modern painted shadows painted shadows. well you were talking specifically about um going into the film you felt it was um though stark feeling because of the music you felt oppressed by the music but you also said that you felt it was modern because of the camera panning i thought that yeah, yeah. i thought the uh just the intro was overwhelmingly dismal <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna beat you in the head with its we're sad <laughs> it was and maybe it's not just the 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 music itself i guess it's the recording it's of the time the recording is just bad so it just it sounds like <laughs> So it, um, if that makes any sense to the listeners, not being alive in the time, um, but watching newsreels and things that were of the time that felt very much like what they superimposed into newsreels. So 
uh, you probably saw this reference in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Love that movie. Um, when he went in, they at the movie theater, it wasn't just the one movie they played. It was like newsreels, a cartoon. It mm-hmm. was many things. Yeah. And so those newsreels at the time where a lot of people devout their information because this was before TV, they would have that kind of um, music and graphics. Did you know the main character of Roger Rabbit, the, the guy? Um, what was his name? Uh, the actor? Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, the, the, the human? human? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, he was Smee and Hook. Um, was he really? I yeah. was about to blow your mind and say he's he's English. I didn't know he was English, but yeah. he's English. He definitely is. Yeah. Oh, oh, I saw a video was, of him. He's he... got a super middle class to low class accent. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> just gosh. didn't expect it. Why is his name escaping me right now? I love him, and this makes me sad because I, I believe he passed somewhat recently. Yeah, within the last couple of years. Um, come back to me on the name because it's escaping me, and it's not serving him to for me to have. <laughs> Indubitably, I, uh, but I will continue what I was saying about mm-hmm. the uh, the camera work just feeling modern. Um, yeah, I mean, out of the gate, the the camera is just it's moving around, uh, doing a lot of uh, dolly. Uh, shots and things like that. It just makes everything feel much more alive. And uh, the, a lot of the analysts I was, I was listening to was saying that it felt like a dance. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that's an overly artsy way of phrasing it. Um, but it did feel very energetic. It felt very involved. You always felt like you were coming into the scene and, you know, leaving a scene and things like that. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it felt very energetic and very modern compared to other films of the time. Well, I will say that um, the dialogue in this film very much of the time had that kind of exhaustive, quick quality that I wonder, you know, did people speak like that? There was this way that the di- it was very snippy, very quick together, retorts uh, yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've had friends tell me that they could never get into a show like, say, the Gilmore Girls because they do dialogue this way. They speak at each other so quickly that it is found to be, to to the people who said it, tiring. It's fatiguing to... I can see that. I mean, I like some good dialogue, but I don't think good is synonymous with just fast. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of cheating. Just because you're saying a lot doesn't mean it's clever. The actor, by the way, is Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Bob Hoskins. He uh, does a good accent, whatever that was, like a New York sign of... Yeah. <laughs> valiant. Kind yeah. of gruff New Yorker. Eddie, Eddie Valiant. Eddie Valiant. So, so yes, quick dialogue. Um, it doesn't give your brain a lot of time to rest and absorb what you're hearing. And so when it's clever, quick dialogue, your brain wants to sit there and mull over what you've seen um, and heard and reflect on it. Yeah. So it doesn't give you that opportunity. And I haven't seen Gilmore Girls, so I can't comment on whether or not it's it's uh, clever Well, it, or, or, or exhausting. It is clever. It is quick. Um, I don't think it's exhausting because what they're saying isn't, and it may be just because I've seen it so many times because <laughs> it's one of those TV shows like Friends where if it's on, you you can kind of pick up. Yeah. Um. So listening to Gilmore Girls, I don't feel like I'm losing anything in the quickness of the dialogue. Yeah, fair enough. And yeah. you don't think you have to strain to 
keep up with whatever's happening. And I think also that could all be because it's set in modern time, you know, a time it period. It's more jarring. That, yeah, ni- 1940s, there's more information that I have to absorb. Um, like, is that a common expression or colloquialism yeah. that they're referencing? Is that something of the time? Um, I will say that I, I can forgive that type of dialogue in an older movie, I think, because it already seems somewhat otherworldly just because everything is old and I'm just kind of, it's almost culture shock mm-hmm. going into a movie like that because everything is so different. The way people interact with each other is very different. And maybe some of that was superficial, like it was created in, in Hollywood, that way of talking to each other. Mm-hmm. So I, but I don't know. So I, I guess I kind of forgive it more because it's of the era. But for something like Gilmore Girls, again, I haven't seen it, but I've seen other films and movies that attempt to have that kind of patter. And it seems artificial. It's mm-hmm. people don't, even clever people who are quick witted don't speak that way to yeah. each other. Yeah, I would agree with that. So it may, it may it, in a newer context or a more modern context, it, it just may seem jarring to the ear or even just the senses in general to like, why are you talking to each other that way? <laughs> why? <laughs> it's so odd. But in, uh, for, in Casablanca, I know, I noticed it and I guess I forgave it or I, it didn't bump me. I, I kind of got over it. Um, but I certainly noticed it and I don't, and kind of on that topic, the way particularly men sound in older recordings mm-hmm is weird to me. They all sound a little bit more nasally. You know, they've, they've got this kind of thing going on. Well, it was hum- a lie. Yeah. And Humphrey Bogart has kind of like a, a breathy nasally quality. Like he breathes. I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Well, give me a line. I think I can say it like that. Um, here's looking at you, kid. Here's looking at you, kid. Yeah. But like his is, it's like almost like muffled breathy too. Um, yeah. not, not, well, he also smoked a lot. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, yes. a lot. He was yeah. never did not have a cigarette in his hand. That is also true. Have you noticed that you pay attention more as a modern viewer looking back at older things, things like cigarettes? Because I'm yeah. like, it's just not a thing in our present culture. Like, it, that's we, very true. And I have to say, it always makes me want a cigarette. It never makes me want a cigarette. I, All I, I can think about is how bad must your breath be. Oh, well, that, that's, I try to ignore that because in real life, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. But in movies, I can't smell them. And it just, it looks like such a fun social thing to do. <laughs> like, seriously, like you get in yeah. a, a group of people, let's all light up some cigarettes and just very contemplative feeling. Looking cool. And I, I smoked a pipe recently. <laughs> okay. And I, I don't, I don't like the experience of putting smoke in my body mm-hmm. and having nicotine like wire me up. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. But just the social thing of... <laughs> Blowing, it gives a, a natural kind of pause to a conversation. Was it the uh, pipe that I brought you back from Ireland? No, oh, I, I wasn't. I didn't plan it before going. Uh, I was. This was in, who uh, plans pipe smoking? I did, well, I did. Uh, <laughs> on the way there, I think I texted Mark. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to smoke a pipe. I've now decided. I really. We were listening to Sherlock Holmes on the way there, <laughs> and it made me want to smoke a pipe. So I was like, Gosh, dang it! I don't want to swear on this fucking pipe. <laughs> I was about to say, you mean again? <laughs> uh, anyway, so I really wanted to smoke a pipe. So I didn't plan it before leaving, but when I got Bunged there. Smoking a pancake. Smoking a pancake. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, I went to a place there and it said a maximum of three people can come in to this shop. 
there were like eight people in there when I <laughs> walked in. <laughs> they didn't care. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I bought a pipe and some stuff and smoked two nights in a row. And I don't like how it makes me feel, but uh, there was something to it. I will say that vanilla pipe smoke and peppermint pipe smoke have a, kind of a pleasing after smell. I feel like the aroma would be nice. I don't know how that would be going in. Well, like, uh, so my my dad had an old pipe. Um, I don't think he ever smoked it. I think it was an heirloom. Mm. But it had this residual scent of this vanilla tobacco tar kind of that lingered onto it. Mm. And it even still today smells like the which just talks about how much that kind of sticks to whatever it's yeah. on. But um, it, it did have a more pleasing aroma, probably not so much in the moment, like cigars have that really horrible smell. Well, I guess it depends what kind of cigar you have. I mean, you grew up in kind of, I feel like your dad would have been a cigar smoker. Was he a cigar smoker? Occasionally, the men in my family, um, after Christmas dinner... They'd go downstairs and play billiards while the the lady folks stay upstairs and talk amongst themselves. Yes, well, they they go out onto a deck or a patio after Thanksgiving or dinner and uh, Christmas dinner, and they will have a a bit of a cigar um, and some... Vodka. I love that you grew up in a Jane Austen novel. <laughs> well, it, I mean, we didn't just sit and then talk about our prospects when the men folk went to do things. You like, didn't. Yeah, no. Well, I didn't. <laughs> you didn't participate in that? <laughs> no, no. I was more like, oh, I'm going to go downstairs and play some, some video games. I'm going to go play some Grand Theft Auto while you people talk about you. Exactly. <laughs> or Mario Kart or Zelda or whatever. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, so this is all true. How how on earth did we get here? Everyone oh, was smoking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and how jarring it is to see that as such a prevalent part of the culture. Like up into the nineties, I think uh, that's when it started to taper off the smoking in film. You think? Mm-hmm. Maybe so. I mean, I grew up in the nineties, so I didn't see what it was like beforehand. Oh, I mean, I've seen older movies, but. I mean, I feel like we still saw lots of smoking. I mean, quote unquote, lots of smoking in nineties movies. Yeah, I think that was when there was all the ad campaigns against, like, Philip Morris. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Anyway, yeah. but... Um, so, I mean, when you see a cigarette, you you don't think, wow, I'd really like to... Never, not once. No. Yeah. I've actually had arguments with friends, like, if we were vampires and wouldn't get cancer... If we would smoke. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally, I would, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was their viewpoint. They're like, it looks cool. Yeah, I hate it, to say it, it, but... honestly, it does. It just <laughs> looks cool. There's no getting around it. And that sucks. Kids, would... don't listen to your Uncle Zachary. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, however you look at it, however you slice it health-wise, smoking is cool. No. It, it is. I mean, there's no way around it. Sorry. Uh, I mean, I've never been a smoker myself I just, because I hate it. I remember when there was smoking in bars. Um, when I first turned 21, um, there was a local college bar, McAdoo's, and they had smoking. Um, Isn't that the name the of the... Sh- Beep. Now everyone knows how to find me. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> do you want to cut that out? Yes, please. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. No. 
Continue. Sorry, folks, we had, we just had to cut something out because it revealed Allison's location. <laughs> Not just a, a just simple Baltimore. It was like a, she lives next door to adjacent. <laughs> yes, and it wasn't a very flattering building. I, I'm so sad we have to cut that out because it's really amusing, the type of thing that's <laughs> right outside of your hood. Uh, anyway. Anyway. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so uh, McAdoo's was a local bar uh, outside of my residence in college, and it had smoking that was still allowed on premise. And I just remember every time I came back from McAdoo's, I had to immediately change clothes, put my clothes into the wash, and have a shower because it was in my hair, mm-hmm. it was on my clothes. Yep. Uh you could smell me coming into the... It's disgusting. It's horrible. I hate cigarette smoke. I hate, like, cigar smoke and pipe smoke. It's all nasty. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it can have, like, a little bit of a... Like, not cigarette smoke, obviously, but, like, pipe smoke and such can have an okay aroma. But just generally, it's awful, and I hate it. Yeah. And then vaping just gives you the false sense that someone's making you, like, cinnamon buns. <laughs> <laughs> like- Although, you know, if they made a vapey thing that just looked like a pipe... Mm-hmm. So one of uh, my fiance's friends owns a vape shop. Do they have non-nicotine vape stuff? Like it's literally just water? Flavored water. Yeah, I mean, because I would do water that. Water vaporing. I would do that. That's perfect. I've seen that with essential oils. I've never seen it with um, vape. They really need to do that. I mean, I could ask. <laughs> I would I would so be into it. Yeah. I would do it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll you check. call me pretentious all day long, I'm smoking a pipe that doesn't do me any harm. <laughs> <laughs> Tastes like berries. <laughs> yeah. mm, bubble gum. <laughs> I feel so much like Sherlock Holmes. It's like when I go to the dentist, I go to a dentist that still has the, the different options of like, do you want grape, cherry, or mint? I'm like, I'm in my 30s. I would like <laughs> So grape, please. So I was say, but I have a preference and it's grape. <laughs> Get it. Grape. Do you ever notice that all artificial grape tastes like grape diamond tap? Yes. Yeah. Anyway. What about, <laughs> that's your only point about that. <laughs> no, we're going with that. But what about cherry? What does cherry taste like? Ass. Not having consumed ass, I, I enjoy maraschino no? cherries on my Sundays. And- oh, no, no. Yeah, che- regular cherries ch- taste like cherries for mm-hmm. the most part. But cherry, cherry. But not natural cherries. <laughs> no, no, that's what I'm saying. Natural cherries taste like cherries. But maraschino cherries taste like candy cherries, which I oh. also enjoy the flavor. That's right. There's a different type of thing with your they fa- have a fancy living chinos. Grenadine she, kind of flavor. Grenadine. But what about cherry flavored things? Like a little sucky candy. A little sucky sucky? Yeah, a little sucky. <laughs> little, you know, like a Werther's. Like uh, a- I prefer butterscotch Werther's. Well, yeah. who, who wouldn't? <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, in the candy flavor realm, I think strawberry and grape are my favorite go-tos. I don't sometimes... Lime? Sometimes. But like I I don't like apple flavored candies. Yeah, I, I can kind of take or leave apple. I would reach for a different flavor before I got apple, but it's not as bad as cherry. But I love apple cider and apple juice. But those don't taste like apple candy. Mm-mm. Tastes like apples. Yeah. Anyway, so this has been our food podcast. This is, I was going to say, this is a movie podcast. Brought to you doing? by McCormick MSG. Look, we got to stop advertising <laughs> for folks. 
By the way, Exxon Mobil is <laughs> exactly where you want to get your gasoline. Mm-mm. No, you that don't. is high test material. <laughs> anyway, uh, so um, we have not what even gotten into Oh, we're at Casablanca. That's right. <laughs> so far, we've played the intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is a great podcast. <laughs> This has been brought to you by adult ADHD. <laughs> Which I was diagnosed. That's the only reason I said it is because... You knew that I was suffering? Mm-hmm. And I follow on your tangents. That's my problem. I'm a follower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tangents are the best. It's true. All right. So uh, this fella. Oh, so I want to bring up one thing about... Uh, the smoking. Smoking. No, he is smoking here, but he's never not smoking. It's hard to find an image of him without a cigarette. Um, the, the lighting on this fella's face, and I'm looking at Humphrey Bogart at, uh, you know, 9-11 o'clock. Um, it is 9-11. Uh, <laughs> well, 9-11 o'clock, he means minute mark, 9 minutes, 11 seconds. <laughs> Sorry, I, was, I was quoting something that I saw a while ago. And it's, it's just a joke. Anyway. I'm not going to get into it. Um, the, so don't ask him. Yeah, don't talk to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the cinematic uh, critique that I often see for old movies is, wow, look at the framing. Mm-hmm. There's, a, a, there's like a post in between the two characters that symbolizes the divide between them, like emotionally, the struggle. And I'm, I'm always like, that is just, it's needlessly pretentious. <laughs> And over, it's a sled. <laughs> it's overly artistic. Like, it, but then he walks across the post, and what's that symbolize? They've gotten over their divide in two seconds. No, it didn't mean anything. It just looked visually interesting. And so I saw a lot of people talking about Casablanca, the way that Humphrey Bogart is always lit. He's got one side of his face is dark, and the other side is light. It symbolizes the his duality. It symbolizes the duality. Like he's cynical now, but inside he's really. A romantic sin, uh, romantic and optimistic, and he wants to help people. And it's like, no, that's just how you light people in movies. Half of someone's face is always got a shadow on it. Mm-hmm. It's just how it's lit. Everybody's like that. And and in the same, whoops, what just happened? Oh, Disney. Disney? Is this Disney? Oh no, it's Hobo. <laughs> it's Hobo. Sorry. Oh, Hobo. So, uh, Don't send the Disney people after us. What are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, we're just advertising for everybody. So, like, uh, this fella, Laszlo, mm-hmm. uh, in a, they would show specific shots of him, like, yeah, but he doesn't have shadow on his face. His face is always completely well lit. Like, well, you're selectively finding shots of him like that. Look at this one. Half of his face is shadowed, mm-hmm. half of his face is light. Well, it's more his cheek is shadowed, but like the full front of the face yeah, is it's, light. It's, uh, like, all of this over here is. And what does that say about our favorite uh, general or captain? Exactly. His whole face is light. It doesn't mean anything. It looked good for the shot. <laughs> it means something when it means something. Yeah, exactly. Like you can cherry pick. It's like the Bible. You can. Che- I don't need to get into it. <laughs> Please. Because <laughs> that's, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> that's a can of worms. Yeah. Anyway, it, it means something when it means something, I guess, if you feel like breaking your back to find the meaning. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just wanted to go on that tangent. No, I'm glad I went there with you. <laughs> Did you know that Claude Rains, who played the general, played the Invisible Man? No. Well, there you go. You know how I know that? Tell me. Rocky Horror Picture Show, the intro to the song. Uh, <laughs> ruining another good movie. How is it ruining? Well, now I know that. It's a lyric and a song. I didn't say when or what context. 
The double cross rung. Oh, yeah. Here's another piece of trivia for you. Mm-hmm. So do you know what the ring that uh, the dude comes in and shows Laszlo at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, he's trying to indicate that he's an ally. But do you know what the ring symbolizes? That actually is real symbolism, and it means something. No, I'm not aware. That was the symbol. It's the double cross for free France. Oh, they, they do reference that later in the film as well. They reference Free France, yeah. I don't know if they referenced it in association with the ring specifically, but there, that's what that—that's what the symbol means. There is a docent that someone is carrying that has the Free France sign. So in the beginning, uh, they're rounding up the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's a line. That's a line. And um, one of the men that they shoot is carrying a docent, which has a photograph of the Free France. I feel like we need a sound. I, I didn't know that. That's interesting. I feel like we need a sound effect for whenever like, we hear a, a movie line that is well known. <laughs> like a sound bite. Like. Yeah. Well, I think we just need, this needs to go full AM radio and we, <laughs> we just need sound effects for everything. Bingo and the baby. <laughs> Dingo and the baby. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, yes. Indeed. And that's what I have to say. So here Free France. Viva la France. D- did you have any interest in speaking about any scene in particular? So there's a scene um, where Rick is standing over the shoulder of a young gentleman who's trying to buy passage out of... Uh, Casablanca uh, with him and his young wife and Rick is essentially helping them and the way that his team reacts to this out of character heart that he is showing to the young couple I just really loved the the head waiter and the lead men at the bar and their reactions yeah yeah, I did think that was interesting. One thing on that note I wanted to talk about was the rigging of the gambling scene. Oh, and he's like, is this place a clean place to gamble? And, <laughs> <laughs> no, well, and I'm getting, I'm tangenting off my tangent right now, but tangenting off my tangent. Uh, the scene where the Nazi fella tells French fella to uh, shut the bar down after mm-hmm. the song and the reason that he gave <laughs> went up to Rick. I am shocked, shocked to find there's gambling happening here. Here's your winning. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. Traveling is so expensive and difficult. It was much more than we thought to get here. And then Captain Renault sees us. And he is so kind. He wants to help us. Yes, I'll bet. He tells me he can give us an exit visa. But, but we have no money. Does he know that? Oh, yes. And he's still willing to give you a visa? Yes, monsieur. And you want to know? Will he keep his word? I like the subtle implication that there's a tete-a-tete there, that he is asking for something of the wife. Uh, If someone loved you very much... Isn't she supposed to be underage? Newlywed. Young, but newlywed. I thought that Rick says to her at some point that she's only 16 or she's underage or something, so she can't drink in the bar. Oh, he was making a joke that she looked young. And the girl kept this bad thing locked in her heart. That would be all right, wouldn't it? Do you want my advice? Oh, yes, please. I don't think that was a joke because he makes a mention of it and then says, do you want a drink? Oh, I'm sorry, you can't, and then pours himself one and then drinks alone. Oh, uh, no, I I, I do think it was a joke because if she was, one, European people start drinking at younger ages than they do here. Um, 
Well, yeah, but what, I don't know how things were in Casablanca. I assumed that they were very strict. Yeah, no, I th- I think he was just making a jab at how kind of young and innocent she seemed. Interesting. Interesting. But, um, so I, I like that it's kind of implied that General Renaud is asking to bet her, and but they've never explicitly said that in any of the dialogue. It's kind of left for us to discern. Right, yeah. Well, and he is kind of more than morally ambiguous. He seems to be somewhat of an evil fella, even though he's on friendly terms with Rick. I think uh, it shows that there is that kind of duality of nature in a lot of people. and he, But mainly in French people. They're kind of spiky in French sometimes. <laughs> spiky in fucking French. Yeah. Again, an Eddie Izzard quote. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do that a lot. Just get used to it. This is going to be an Eddie Izzard podcast by the end. Also not sponsored by Eddie Izzard. <laughs> I don't care. I, I will advertise for Eddie Izzard all day long. He is the most wonderful person. He's lovely. Yeah. Anyway. I got um, to see him live a couple. Well, you were there for one of them. For one of them, yes. Yeah. yeah. I saw him live Force twice. Force majeure. Uh, yes. Well, he's been doing Force majeure for years. I don't think he's... Oh, he does have a new one. Mm-hmm. He started a new one recently, but he did Force majeure for years. But it's he was going to come to the States, but then COVID, God damn it, stopped it from happening. Uh, COVID ruins everything. Yes. Including a Tim Minchin. Tim Minchin was supposed to come to the East Coast of America, play for mm-hmm. us. But no. Anyway, uh, so back to Casablanca. We could talk about Tim Minchin and uh, Mr. Izzard all day long. Indeed. And so I will. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so... Oh, uh, about the the gambling. Yes. How did they rig it? So quickly. Just Rick was like... I mean, I guess... 22. Yeah, he was just like, eh, 22. And the guy was like, okay, I can make that happen. I don't know. I'm sure they have ways. He's got a 22 pedal underneath the table. I did not look. Uh, magnets, perhaps? Like a magnetic ball? Well, I would figure, but I just don't know how Rick was just able to call out a number and he can all of a sudden make that happen. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure. I, I didn't look up um, roulette. Uh, rigging? And, uh, rigging. <laughs> um, one, because I wasn't sure how that information would serve me. But two, I'm pretty sure there is a way for it to be rigged. I just... Don't know. You know, it'd be an interesting thing to test. Do a lot of Google searching for how to rig Vegas games <laughs> and then go to Vegas and see and if, see they if know you're about like it. watching you. Yeah. yeah. Card counting for beginners. <laughs> <laughs> Advanced card counting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anywho, I just thought that was interesting that he was able to. Maybe that's always the number. If he wants to cheat for someone, he just go for 22. Maybe like very small bumpers come up on the other numbers. But yeah, but I'm just wondering how he was able to call out that specific number and have that work. Unless that's always the number he has to cheat with. In which case I'm always betting 22. But yeah. And that just seems weird that people that are regulars there would hear that. Yeah. Yeah. If he's ever cheating, go for 22. That always seems to hit. I'm going 22. Yeah. That's how they go bankrupt. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. So there's that. Uh, We can talk. Let me go to the scene where, uh, yeah, this one, right? Oh, firstly, hang on. The lady that sang, mm-hmm. I just want to talk about her voice. Oh, I very much of the time. It's kind of like this fake opera. <laughs> she warbles. Too much warbling. He's under arrest for murder. He was arrested here tonight. I see. But we who are still free will do all we can. They organized my 
Yes, yeah. Underground, like everywhere else. Tomorrow night there's a meeting at the Cavern de Roi. And I, I don't know if that, I, I just feel like that was, did they do that because she wasn't a good singer? And they were like, just warble, warble, and no one will notice. Well, no, if you look at other movies of the time that have singers, they, they have that kind of presentation. Like, it's almost like a opera kind of sound to it. It's just, I think it's of its time. Like, if you listen to Edith Piaf, she has a warble. As I do constantly. Who is that? <laughs> um, there's a song called uh, Le Vie en Rose. Um, it's pretty much in every World War II movie you've ever seen. Oh, okay. Can you sing a, a little? Uh... No, but I can cue, cue it up. Yeah. Um, I'm interested. Actually, so we can get it close to the mic, since we still don't have a proper setup for recording these things. Uh, pull it up here. What's that app called? YouTube? Anyway, after we do this, I wanted to talk. The reason I was going to this particular part of the movie is I wanted to talk about the discussion between Sam and uh, the lady fella. See, and it, I guess it's just the, the type of recording or the, like the limitations of the recording equipment. It's a little tinny. It's like... <laughs> it just sounds so dismal. She's not abusing it though. That sounds lovely. Well, yeah, but it still has that warble. Yeah, well, I mean, she's got she's got the vibrato at the end of her line, it's like she's like that sort of thing. But the, like the, she's trailing off. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's fine. That's that's our that's an artistic choice. What this lady was doing in Casablanca was just like. I, I think it's to have that kind of operatic feel, more theatrical. Right. Well, anyway, so let's look at the scene between Sam and Lady Lady Fella. Mm-hmm. What's her name? Ilsa. Is that the character or the actor? Ingrid. Ingrid. What, is that the character or the actor? <laughs> In- Ingrid is the actress. Oh, okay. Ingrid Bergman. And the character? Ilsa. Ilsa. Didn't we burger? Also, what is it with the accents in this movie? Nobody's accent is right. Not even the American. <laughs> some are French, some are German. I think it's talking about, you know, multiculturalism. I guess. But the, the French guy sounded English. He had a little bit of flavor of French in there sometimes. Well, I, I think people are uh, cautiously not trying to overdo a character like Pepe Le Pew kind of. Or maybe they thought that this is for an American audience, so tone it down, Frenchie. Yeah. But they also didn't subtitle any of the French conversation. Which I did like. Yeah. I like that they didn't. They made you guess and just watched their body language. You're actually watching it as you are. You mm-hmm. understand what you can understand. Yeah. True. Uh, here we go. Yes, ma'am. A lot of water under the bridge. Some of the old songs, Sam. Yes, ma'am. Hey, John, my bill. No. Yes, ma'am. Don't no, blast it. Please. Yes, sir. 
Hello, Sam. Hello, Miss Elsa. I never expect to see you again. It's been a long time. Yes, ma'am. A lot of water under the bridge. Some of the old songs, Sam. Yes, ma'am. Just what did you think about their interaction? Um, and earlier, she called him boy. Yeah, I, I have a note on that. Uh, he's 40 years old. He's a grown man. Yeah, I... What's the matter with you? I think that is of its time, very much of its time, or his station to her. Yeah. But that it's still... Yeah, he, he is a man. <laughs> And so maybe say, bring over the pianist or the musician. He's, he's slightly balding. You're calling him a boy. He's older than you. I just thought that was relatively disgusting. But uh. yeah, no. So when when we talk about problems of the film being of its time, that is one that's a little jarring now for us. Yeah. Um. Still. Like when we looked at Breakfast Club, you know, there was a lot of um, slurs that were used in Breakfast Club. So I found it interesting that. Brownie Hound? <laughs> you know, bre- well. Um, I'm never going to get over Brownie Hound until someone tells me what it means. <laughs> no, I was uh, talking more about um, uh, three letter disparaging. What? I have no idea what you're talking about. Yes, you do. Slur against um, LGBTQ identifying individuals. Right. And so. Um, I found that to be because there was only the one instance in 1942, only one instance in Casablanca that made me feel like, ooh, don't like that. What was that moment? When she called him boy. Yeah. And then in this, uh, you know, 1985 Breakfast Club, it was like every other word. I'm like, ooh, how? Stop it. (laughs) Well, they said that three-letter word a couple times. Mm Mm-hmm. Did it, I don't think any of the characters said it to any of the other characters, unless I'm yes, misremembering. There, there's, they did. there's one instance. Okay, because uh, I remember it being on the locker, and but it was his locker, as if someone was saying that to him. So he was the victim of it, um, or he did it to his own locker, which I think is also plausible. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he, he put it on his own locker as a threat, like that dot dot dot, so and so. Like he was like, uh, yeah, it's possible too. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, there were definitely some things in Breakfast Club that were questionable. Yeah, but um, boy, when she called him a boy, I think that was the only time that we had this kind of divisive um, dialogue. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair enough. There was, there was not a whole lot in here that was symbolic of... The Nazis were bad enough. <laughs> we didn't need anything <laughs> Everyone else. Everyone was trying to be real friendly other than that. And I also, what another thing that bumped me about his character was he was the only one, I think, that was calling Rick... Sir. And it just seemed like he was more... I mean, it is of the time. It was the 40s. I think they called him, like, Mr. Rick or something like that. Yeah, they would call him by his name, and he was like, oh, yes, sir. And, like, uh, you would say to uh, Ilsa or Elba or whatever her (laughs) name is. Elbo. Um, (laughs) Elbo Berman. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great name. Um, uh, He was saying no no ma'am to her, and it just... It smacked of servile spirit. Yeah, but Rick also has a specific line that says, I'm not in the business of buying and selling people. Yeah, that's nice. And uh, it's it's clear that he's, but uh, he was later on when it was the dark scene, he was crying about elbow. Mm -hmm. Um, Macaroni. Elbow (laughs) macaroni. Yeah, that's her new name. Um, 
he comes up to him and comforts uh, Sam comforts Rick and uh, and such and stays there. But he calls him boss the whole time. Yeah. And like he's not going to leave. And it just it made me cringe because it's nice. And I want to believe it was because they had a good friendship. Mm-hmm. But it mainly feels like he's a loyal servant. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And I do wonder about their relationship because we never really get the background of how Sam and Rick came together. Yeah. And I kind of wanted, I wanted something to put my mind at rest that they are just friends and he's talking in a way that is, it feels more like that just because it's of the time. And that's Mm -hmm. how, I don't know, it still doesn't feel right, but at least I would have known that they were friends. He did defy him though. Like he he wasn't afraid to defy him. Like when when Rick was telling him to go away and he's like, nope, Stick around. Yeah. Well, in, uh, I don't mean to bring this up again, but it's the other forties movie that comes to mind. It's a wonderful life. This, the black servant that the, uh, Jimmy Stewart's family had Mm -hmm. defies them and pokes fun and has jabs of her own, but she's Mm -hmm. still the house servant. Yeah. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not, you know, they, they allow him opportunities to leave Rick, uh, and he chooses not to. Yeah. Then again, I don't know his life, his background, yeah. or I want to know more. Sam is a very interesting character. I want to know more about Sam. Interesting. Yes, I suppose. As well as, I mean, I guess on the same level that anybody in this movie is interesting because one thing that one criticism that I read, which actually isn't a criticism. I actually listened to um, Steven Spielberg talk about it. And he was saying that everybody is over the top theatrical archetype of of a person or a personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they they are kind of extreme versions of themselves. And so I, there's not a lot of depth to anybody, <clears throat> except for maybe Rick. Him having his breakdown in front of um, Sam, I think, was a humanizing moment for him. If she can stand it, so can I. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. well, and he, he's the, well, not the only character that's conflicted, but he is conflicted. He's got the good and the bad, the cynical and the disregarding of rules and morality, but also in his heart, he wants to be on the right side. Mm-hmm. So th- there is complexity to his character. I'm wondering if there's complexity to Sam. I don't know that there is. They're, yeah, they, they don't allow much of a I mean, character. He, he's a side character, so yeah. there's only so much complexity, I guess, that a side character can have. Same with the uh, the bartender and the maitre d' of the yeah. rest. Yeah, it's, they're, they're not given the opportunity to show themselves more, um, yeah. which is unfortunate because I think those characters are intriguing. Like um, the scene where Rick is, um, again, you know, after he helps the young man win the gambling bet, we see the maitre d' and the bartender, like, really, like, he's showing his good character kind of thing. I'm going to harp on about the the, uh, gambling. (laughs) I told him to bet on 22 twice. Mm -hmm. Let it ride on 22. And he won both times. I would have immediately known this is cheats. Yeah. Well, this can't happen. The the, the balance statistic. of the balance of probability of a dude telling you do twenty two twice in a row, you're gonna win both, and he does. Mm-hmm. Get out of town. Get right out of Casablanca. Yeah, which is what they did. Yeah, well, <laughs> to Lisbon, <laughs> and they were like, "You cheated. I'm out of here." Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then, you know, is this place ethical? <laughs> As the day is long. <laughs> um, yes. So, anyway, that's what, what I had to say. What was that? Yes. That was half um, Urkel and half... Did uh, you do that? <laughs> did I do that? Yes. <laughs> and oh, half... Uh, half the cousin from of Stan? No, it was, it was half Eddie Izzard. Because oh. there was a there's a bit where he goes he's in between jokes and he doesn't remember where to go and he's like yes uh, uh, well this is all true this is all true yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah um, well there you go so what else do I have to say hmm, let me scan through here so you tell me that they were not so, they didn't know if they were supposed to be in love for most of the movie yes. And yet they're here on a little car ride. She's got her head on his shoulders. St- still in love, I should say. Like, they, they don't know how in love they really should have been. I see. I, well, I mean, I, I think that comes across. Yeah, they're um, non-committal love. Yeah, I mean, at what point is there a moment before she admits that she loves him again? Which is near the end of the movie, I think. That's when they're on the couch in his room. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, I, is there a moment before that that you were really like, "Oh yeah, these guys have a real chemistry"? Well, uh, the the jarring kind of. Uh, have you ever seen two people who have broken up enter the same room and that kind of awkward electricity that kind of happens? Well, I didn't get electricity. I got awkward. Yeah. I got like, "This is an ex of mine. I don't want to see her." Yeah, and she was scared to see him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this. I thought it was a good misdirect. Um, well, I don't know if it was even a misdirect, but a mystery of why she left him. Because uh, I, 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 didn't re- I didn't know that there was going to be any more depth, and I doubted mm-hmm. there would. Mm-hmm. This was just me being cynical about the movie. I was like, wow, they better have a really good reason why she left him, because that's just stupid. Because <laughs> her husband was actually alive. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I thought that it, was a good, it was a good twist. I liked it. When you also think about the slowness of information sharing at that time, they couldn't get a tweet unless they were in, you know, they had a pigeon. Yeah, well. (laughs) Um, So I thought that was nice. Um, And I thought that was a good, valid reason why she would have left somebody that she loved. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's plausible that they could have still had feelings for each other. But when they were together, I, I don't know that I ever detected that. You know who I never got over getting back together was um, Odysseus and uh, Penelope. He was gone yeah. for so long. How long? Ten years or something like that? Yeah, like just an obscene amount of time. And for, she had suitors that she were... She had suitors who were hounding her and eating their kingdom poor and partying. Mm-hmm. Till, and, you know, it wasn't that, you know, the, any of them actually loved her. They just all wanted to be king because it's good to be the king. I agree. But, but yeah, imagine him coming back and finding out about the, you know, Pink Lotus incident and the uh, the <laughs> goddesses and like, it's like, you had an odyssey of exploitation and I'm sitting here trying to host all of these suitors? Get out of here. It was a different time back then, wasn't it? Homeric times. Certainly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Gender roles were not quite as progressive as they are now in Homeric oh, times. No, I... <laughs> He would have uh, probably been uh, imbibing on a drought of poison after a certain <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> a little harder to divorce. Back and what then. was what was his son's name? Was it uh, 
Odysseus' son? It's not Paris. It's not... I thought uh, it was something like that, it's, though. I thought it was a P like name. Like Prince or... Pap smear, pasteurized milk. Patroclus. Telemachus? I do not remember that. That's not the one. He must have other sons. Pylos. Is it Pylos? Is that the one I'm talking about? I mean, that's a P word. No, he visited Pylos. His wife was Penelope. I remembered that. That's why I'm thinking P. I don't know. Uh, Timalicus? Tel... Telemachus? T-E-L-E-G-O-N-U-S. That doesn't sound Greek. I don't remember that. <laughs> and I've read the Odyssey. I, mean, the, obviously I read the, the, Iliad, the uh, Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah, same. Uh, well, I mean, it's been a long time. I need to reread them. Uh, and the way, I also I, saw the Wishbone special. I have. He only... <laughs> oh, that's nice. I only have one. I think he only did one. Uh, I've got the audiobooks for the Iliad and the Odyssey, but Ian McKellen read, I think, the Iliad. So uh, he had two sons, Telemachus and Telegonus. I don't, I only remember the one son for some reason. I only remember the one son also, and I don't remember his name at all. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just remember him getting all uppity about his mom. Break out my track. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He he was like, mom, get, get rid of these jokers. Yeah. And she was just like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll like him. Well, no, she's, I, I'm working on my tapestry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. anyway, what are we talking about here? <laughs> this is a movie podcast. Uh, oh, uh, good reasons to leave a spouse. or good. <laughs> yeah, if they yeah. go on a 10-year odyssey, then yeah. Yeah. you can leave them. But uh, and news traveling slow. So are we saying that Laszlo was on an odyssey? Well, he... <laughs> So she should have left that Joker. No, it was just that uh, she got word that he was dead, and it just took so long for them to clarify. Uh, not dead, actually, at a concentration camp. And so she, it was a good reason for her to be dating around, but also um, the reason why it was acceptable for her to break Bogey's heart. I, yes. <laughs> and, Indeed. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm... I I wanted to say that I liked Laszlo's attitude because he knew something was going on from the very beginning. Oh yeah, and he didn't pressure her about it. No, and even after he knew exactly what was going on, he it's not like he was overbearing at all. And I don't know if that was a function of them trying to write him as a morally good character, or if they were saying he's just so French he doesn't care. No, I think it was a symbol of his. Um, goodness and the reason why it was important for um, Ilsa to to stay with him um, because he was more, he was more of a leader with her at his side. I just have to say again, I just loved that scene where he came and sang. Mm -hmm. That was so beautiful. I mean, actually I had a tear. I, I, it it forced a tear out of my duct. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Only one tear. Come on. No, no, I I cry at everything. There there was several tears. Let's let's be real. Yeah. No, I I had a, I had a good tear, and uh, I didn't even wipe it away. I kept it. And you know, I feel like the ending was so well done, and much better than the uh, Simpsons alternate ending of Casablanca. What season is that from? I don't remember the season. I made, I made the I, bold claim earlier today that I am I know all Simpsons before or after. No, before, and including season five. 
So I'm going to play the, the sound clip for you. Hopefully it will pick up. Louie, I think this could be the start of a beautiful friendship. Look out, Rick! He's packing heat! Good work, Sam. Come on, I'll buy you a falafel. Not so fast, Schmottenheimer! <laughs> Hitler has just jumped out of a piano. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> not at all, sweetcakes. You know what to do, Sam. Wait, she's not on the plane? She jumped out of the plane. She parachuted down to oh. kill Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing so much about Hitler on a piano. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, I don't remember that. What season was it? Look that up. All right, because I, I, I want to maintain my credentials as someone who knows Simpsons uh, prior to season six. Anyway. Earlier, you said five. No, 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 I'm saying prior to season six. <laughs> so five in, and oh, before. Okay. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. All right, so let's see what else we can talk about here. Of course, there were some inconsistencies with the movie, but we won't get into that, and that's just cheap. All movies have goofs and gaffes. Do you know what the... Uh, no, I'm not going to... Save that for the game. I've got a game after this for Allison to play. <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm just vamping right now while she looks something up. Don't want to step on her toes here. You know what? I'm going to play that scene. I'm going to play the, the singy scene. Oh, here. Here's the scene you were looking for with the... the <laughs> I like that line a lot. <laughs> what's like, what's uh, Captain Renault like? Oh, he's like any other man, <laughs> except more so. War- warbly lady gets back into it. Season 9, episode 25, Natural Born Kissers. See? This is what I'm saying. I don't understand things that happen after season 5. Technically, you failed that test earlier by not getting a reference from an episode in season 4 earlier. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. Anyway, so. All right, so uh, this is the sing-song scene. <laughs> the Germans are getting Germanic. As Germans are wont to do. Look at him, walking up with determination. We're going to be playing this song. Look at the Germans. Come on. Go louder. Go more Germanic. Ah, oh, jeez. This guy gives up. Mm-hmm. This man, he never gives up. So there's a tear. I believe that's real. I believe that's also true for uh, Laszlo. I think he was actually a survivor. Beautiful scene. 
and a beautiful ending to the scene, honestly, him shutting down the bar. best i loved that oh he sets himself up to be this great jerk though like oh it's a fun game we play at this bar i say put it on my bill and then i tear, tear up, up my bill yeah. <laughs> it's great fun <laughs> you know what i never found it in myself to hate him though he was actually so lovable no for some reason it's because he was very honest about his type of character i feel like yeah. i feel like if he was like in denial about who he is or trying to hide it from other people exactly yeah um, all right. So that was that scene. Do you want to witness them kiss? I mean, we, we can, we absolutely can. It is a pivotal scene. It is, it's quite pivotal. All right. I'm going to pivot this microphone here. Pivot. So look at the shadow on his shirt and it's gone. Check it again. Oh, here's the kiss. Look at it. Stare at it. <laughs> and the searchlight. That implies pregnancy. So look at the shadow on his shirt. That often happens with kissing. The top of oh, like the shoulders, and it's gone. Is that bad editing? Is that the stagehand? Who, whose fault? Who do I blame? Well, I think it's because he's hiding himself and his personality and then willing to expose himself yeah. to uh, Ilsa. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful, because when he faces her, all of a sudden his shirt gets lighter. Yeah. Like, yeah. She, she's the she, lightness. Exactly. When she left, there was no light in his world. Ah, but interpret it this way. She isn't her own person. She is merely an accessory for his personality. Um, he becomes lighter with her. And I think that's, uh, that's degrading to women everywhere. Sure. Because <laughs> she's not her own person. She's just an accessory. She, she's... She, Which actually is the case, kind of. She is nothing but an extension of the man she is with. Yeah. She, she is the reason why Laszlo is great. Is great, yeah. yeah. She doesn't matter except as it affects the great man. Mm-hmm. Disgusting. I'm repulsed. I'm repulsed. Revolved, repulsed. I'm repulsed and revolted. He's I'm re repulsed. a lot of things. <laughs> I have so re. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. All of a sudden, I'm Canadian. <laughs> well, I didn't know that, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Well, uh, I think the only th other pivotal thing. Well, we could talk about when they were, when uh, Rick was sticking up the French me, French mm -hmm. me, Frenchy, French man. Mm -hmm. Captain Renault. Uh, Captain Renault. Renault. Uh, but we don't have to. Well, there's one thing I would like to address, which is uh -huh. Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. Oh, is he a sex symbol? Yay. Literally about where I was <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sure, why not? I do not think so. No, he's ugly. No. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to call him an uggaho, but I think the only thing that made him attractive to women of the time was that confidence, that air sure. of confidence, yeah. which I don't particularly find that attractive now because his confidence came at the bereavement of other people. Still sexy. Nah. 
It's it's negging. It's like it's Bender. N- it's like Bender from Breakfast Club. Negging. Yeah. Negging. So sexy. <laughs> Bender was sexy. But there Bender- is no denying that. Smoking is cool, and Humphrey Bogart is sexy. And he's pants ugly. up to your nipples, sexy. <laughs> yes, he, he's got the pants up to your nipples kind of look, doesn't he? <laughs> he's got his tie dialed up to eleven. Yeah, that film noir nipple pants. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good Family Guy version of that. Yeah. <laughs> Had it all the way up here. High waisted uh, young old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think the confidence. It's the. It's the, it's not just berating other people. It's kind of just being. Cool. In the face of pressure, you know, smoking your cigarette. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm just gonna It'd be fucking cool. Yeah, just gonna sit here and I chow. <laughs> like you're writing a Vespa. Yes. Chow. Another Eddie Izzard yeah. uh, segment. Anyway, but yeah, it just. So I think yeah, I think he's a valid sex symbol, even though he's ugly. <laughs> and I think he is ugly. I don't think he's ugly. I think he just big head, big face. Big face, little body. <laughs> Wasn't there a guy on uh, that that makeup uh, reality show we used to watch Face Off that I always said had a big face or a small face? Couldn't really figure it out. His face was not the right size, though. I just remember you hating one woman very vehemently who had kind of a sad backstory. You're like, your talent is mediocre. Your backstory <laughs> is why you're here. <laughs> Prob- oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I remember her. She had some sort of disease. It was like a... Well, that's a horrible reason to mock someone. Well, I'm not mocking her because she's got a disease. I'm mocking her because she got farther than her talent should have allowed. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> I think it's valid. <laughs> this is also the second time we brought this up on the podcast the, that you don't like people with sad stories. Just, like, pull up your talent or go away. Look, there is a time and a place to, to weep mm-hmm. about somebody's sad backstory. Reminds me of it's a, not a talent show. John Mulaney's skit where he was talking about the uh, Ray Charles story and he was dating a woman at the time um, who said, oh, I thought the death of his brother was a little much. And because it was a biopic, he's like, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't great for Ray Charles either. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a funny comic. I like him. Yeah. I think you introduced me to him. I did. I love him. I, I was resistant. There are, there are a few comedians I'm pretty snobby and picky when it comes to comedians. Mm-hmm. I love stand-up comedy, but there are a lot of them out there that are just middle of the road and they feel kind of white bread, mm-hmm. just very plain. And he, I thought he was one of them. And he is to an extent, but I think he's like he's got kind of a, a uh, Jerry Seinfeld vibe where he's telling kind of the jokes are relatively clean. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not as clean as Jerry Seinfeld, but... Um, he's just got some sort of presence to him that feels edgy and fun. Yeah, I, I appreciate that kind of just dry, like I'm just having a conversation and not paying attention to the fact that I'm landing these jokes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Um, so I'm going to give it the Allison rating if we're ready for that. Unless, you... Oh my God, did we skip that? I think the Allison rating is supposed to be at the beginning. So the Allison rating is a 10 out of 10 um, well, this for is, the nostalgia. This is the nostalgia rating. Oh, so yeah. you gave it 10 nostalgias out of 10. Mm-hmm. All right. And I think most of the ones I'm assigning you, I'm assigning a 10 out of 10 <laughs> for uh, nostalgia. Oh, that's fair enough. I mean, some of them can be better or worse than others. You can still think they're great without thinking they're perfect. Mm-hmm. So 10 nostalgias out of 10. Now, having seen it more recently, uh, how many roses would you give it out of 12? 
I would say it is a perfect bouquet. A perfect bukkake. Yeah. Ew. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> bouquet. Uh, Gross. <laughs> what even would it mean to be a perfect bukkake? Do mind. not send us images to us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if there's a perfect bukkake.com. I don't want to see it. No. no. Um, uh, uh, not to yuck your yums, but ew. Uh, yeah, no, I do. Your yums are gross. <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, so I shall tell you now that I give it. <gasps> Drum roll, please. <laughs> I'm still thinking. Hang on. Um, <laughs> I didn't write it down. I'm going off of my whims. I give it nine out of 12. Wow. I think that is one point higher than you did Breakfast Club. I think you gave it an eight and a half. We will have to review. We're going to have to start keeping track of your rating. We should write them down somewhere, yes. So we can have an average, maybe. See yeah. how you're doing. I'll add it to my Excel sheet. Indeed. If we have a very... If at some point we have a fan of this show, mm-hmm. I make it incumbent upon you. Keep track of these things yes. for us. Yeah. For our one fan, <laughs> we love you. We love you so much. Don't leave. Don't. No, do come in. You're the only one today. <laughs> Church of England, Eddie Izzard, get with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'd say yes, nine out of 12 roses. Very good. Yep, That's I thought a, it was that, good. That is a good score, yeah. solid. It was a solid movie. Well, more than a solid movie, obviously. It was a great movie. Um, I thought it showed cracks of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, the yeah, the major... I thought the 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 pacing was very good it wasn't a slow movie again i thought the camera work may have had something to do with it it was a very energetic feeling movie because of the camera work um i thought the characters could have used more fleshing out um i thought the the characterization of sam bumped me a little bit just in how he was portrayed but you know that's of the time it could hardly have expected to be different but it is what it is um that was very good. Music at the beginning needs to go away. <laughs> the warbly lady needs to be removed. All of 1940s music. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can't think of... Other than that, I, I really can't think of much that should have been taken out of the movie. Um, I think they should have made Elbow a little bit more a person mm-hmm. rather than an accessory. Which I think they could have done for the time. I mean, uh, again, to go back to another 1940s movie, uh, We Will Rock You. What's the name of that? I always have trouble accessing it immediately. Um, Christmas and the the Cerberus. Always sunny and... It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Thank (laughs) you. I don't know how I lose it so fast. When you said rock, it threw me off. I was like, rock? What did I say? You said like School of Rock or something like that. I I don't know. I I really, I lost it that quickly. Um, Anyway, I've I've lost it again. It's It's a Wonderful wonderful Life. life. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Okay. So anyway, It's a Wonderful Life. The women in that... You know, obviously there are portrayals that would embarrass a modern movie, perhaps, but... Like naming your child Zuzu or whatever. Yeah, that is goofy. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Zach really doesn't like children actors, you should know. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) He really didn't care for... I think it was the girl in um, 
uh, Narnia. Oh my God. (laughs) That still makes me upset. (laughs) Disgusting. Uh, Horrible child actor. Did not love her. Should have been hung. Ooh. I mean, hang, sorry. Ooh, it's not better. <laughs> oh, sorry. She should have been electric chair. What's what just, more just humane? Just not cast. Oh, not cast. That's uh, fine. Yeah. If I can go back I in time. I think she was fine. I think she, you know, little Lucy Pevins was cute. No. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> for uh, another day, perhaps. Uh, we're not watching that movie. No, no, I know we're not. But maybe oh, like Matilda God. or oh, something. I, I love Matilda. Oh, good. Matilda was one of my favorite movies growing up. Oh, okay. So knees, we don't... knees. I've seen the play, actually, that was written by Tim Minchin. I did not know that. Yep, saw it in London. But I've seen him performing one of the songs from it, but that makes a lot more sense now. Yep, he wrote it. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so next time... On Dragon Ball Z. Um, <laughs> we will be exploring a great summer film that has made people scared Laugh to go swimming. And cry. Also that. And uh, anytime you have a reaction where a piece of seaweed touches your, your t- touches your toe in the water, instantly you think you're going to die, mm-hmm. thanks to this film. And they did it to me when I was a young little baby boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, yep, I saw it when I was, I don't know, seven? Maybe seven or eight, something like that. But I, I closed my eyes for most of the movie, so I didn't really take it in. So uh, if you could not tell based upon our kind of light clues, we will be watching Jaws. Oh, yeah. Did we not actually say that? No. I was just kind of going ahead <laughs> no. as if we had. <laughs> I was giving little clues, and then you went on your uh, little boy's tangent. And Sometimes so. I'll go on a little boy's tandent, t- t- tandent. A little tandent bicycle. <laughs> so join us next time where we... Uh, Enjoy an undersea water adventure. Jaws 3D. Well, J- Jaws regular D. What? What? We're not going to watch it in 3D? Well, um, what about our Jaws 3D, 3D is not the first movie. But there, there is a Jaws 3D, but that's like the third movie. Is it the best one? No. Oh. The first one's the best one. The 3D movies are always better than none anyway so join us next time <laughs> where we discuss the merits of hokey 3d technology okay give your uh what you assume or what you remember your uh your love of it to be back when you first saw it what's your nostalgia rating probably a 10 out of 10 yeah <laughs> pretty much it's it is a wonderful film that touches on so many different elements of thriller horror genre um it is a movie that had a singular impact to an entire aquatic species. Like this is a huge. So it was it was big in the shark community. Well, no, it, it. the the impact on there was a negative one where people wanted to hunt the sharks. Well, Eddie Izzard wants to hunt sharks. You know, he had a whole thing about it. He said, "Kill the sharks. They're the Nazis of the sea." Well, they're they're more like the garbage men of the sea. Like they have dead to... eyes, six rows of teeth, whatever it is. <laughs> he hates them. Well, it's they they do. I swimmy swimmy like kid chased by sharky sharky. <laughs> uh, no, it's they they perform a necessary service to aquatic life. Um, sharks are necessary. They're like bees are necessary. Well, a better analogy I think would have been that spiders. Yeah, well, spiders. Yeah, spiders, bees, sharks. All necessary, all terrifying. What about hornets? 
Hornets, I think, are just jerks. Yeah, kill them all. Horn, the, hornets and wasps. I don't. The Nazis of the sky. They. <laughs> it, anyway, so not to get into like an etym, etymology conversation because <laughs> I'm not very well versed in it. Yeah. But from my understanding, they just keep population of other species down. Is it entomology? Entomology. Entomology. Yeah. I, I may have misspoke. I'm sorry. Well, you said etymology, which is, I guess, a different etymology than entomology. Anyway, insects, bad people, good. <laughs> insects, bad people, good. Sharks, eh. 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 We'll see. Have you ever seen some like of the baby sharks? They're kind of cute. Um, people have said that. I don't know. Baby alligators are cute. Yeah, they are. Having a little smile. Yeah. Just, they like having their necks massaged. I haven't seen that. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. off topic. It, well, we'll see you next time when we watch Jaws. All right. Thank you. I have been Zachary. This is Allison. Our music today um, and last episode, our theme music, is brought to you by Julian Crowhurst of juliancrowhurst.com. Um, thank you, Julian, for the wonderful, wonderful intro music. I love you. Zach loves you. I think you're fine. She's a lovely person. I love your music. <laughs> All right. Well, I love you as a human. <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening to Rose Tinted Reels. This has been the Casablanca episode, and I love you very much. Good night. Good night and good luck. And good luck. <laughs>